this week on Geek Explained, with the 60th anniversary of one of my favorite shows of all time upon us. I'm joined by Doug from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel and Anne of the Comics Collective podcast to discuss all things Doctor Who. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is kind of a double header celebration wise. First off, it's our Thanksgiving episode. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you who celebrate. And also, we are celebrating 60 years of Doctor Who. I have a deep seated love for Doctor Who. I have for a very long time. If you cast your mind back to the uh, very first Christmas special we ever did for this podcast, it was a Doctor Who episode. And I have loved getting to talk about one of my favorite shows across the years that this podcast has been around. But this week, I got to celebrate 60 years, six decades of this show with my good friends Doug and Anne as we gushed about the past, the present, and the future of Doctor Who. So strap in for that conversation. It's a big one. We had a ton of fun chatting about this, and I cannot wait to share that discussion with you. No weekly review this week, though stay tuned to the end of the episode for a quick little announcement on that. But we do have this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Before we dive into our main event, though, I do want to send a quick little shout-out to my good friends Jessica Morgan and Chris Carter on their nuptials. As you are listening to this, as I am recording this, I just got back from Vegas for their wedding. It was a wonderful affair. Two people who I love very much getting to celebrate their love and getting married. I love love. I love love people. So, um lots of uh lots of exciting stuff going on right now. We've got our Lex Luthor for Superman Legacy, Nicholas Holt, who I have been really pulling for to grab that role if it wasn't going to be one of my other fan casts. And I'm really excited to see what he does with this character. I know he's going to knock out of the park. It's going to be incredible. And we're also, uh, right now it's rumor and speculation, no official announcement yet. But we are eyeing a casting for Jimmy Olsen too. So lots of exciting stuff. I cannot wait to see how much more the film is going to shape up now that the... uh, strike is tentatively over for now we're still uh we're still waiting on the the actual vote um there's there's some stuff that definitely needs to be looked at again and brought back to the table um but at least for now we are getting lots of movie news so keep it coming for now until we go back on strike then gotta hold that shit but 
That being said, let's roll right on into our main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I sat down with Doug and Anne, two of my favorite people in the world, to chat all things Doctor Who. What does 60 years mean to a time traveler? How about 17 faces, 13 console rooms, over 40 companions, more than 35 seasons comprising almost 900 episodes, millions of fans around the world, and two legs that must be very, very tired from running so much? The most important number, however, this week is two because it happens to be the number of companions I find myself with this week as we celebrate 60 years of Doctor Who. I am so freaking excited to talk about this. It has been a while since we've talked Doctor Who on the podcast. If you uh, cast your minds back to our very first Christmas episode that we ever did on this podcast, it was ranking all of the Christmas specials and Obviously, we've got to add more at some point, but we are finally back here. We went the long way around to talking about Doctor Who, and I am joined by two, the two people that I am most excited to talk about this topic with. We have been bandying about this idea for months at this point, and now we are finally here on the eve of the return of Doctor Who this weekend, as of this recording. Also, happy Thanksgiving to those of you who celebrate. And we're just going to gush about the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. This is a, it's, it's a crazy time, because I remember back when the 50th dropped, and I was like, oh, I've never had a show go this long. I wonder what will happen in 10 years. And now we're still talking about it. But of course, I am joined by two of my favorite people in the world. First things first, from the Comics Collective uh Pot, uh, the Comics Collective podcast. I just had a brain fart there. Uh, and your favorite Twitter comics personality, it's Anne. Oh, hello. That was a beautiful freaking introduction. That that puts everything I've ever done to shame. That was fantastic. <laughs> I I don't know how to follow that up. Um, show good. Show good. <laughs> like funny, like funny person with two hearts. They they good is smart. <laughs> <laughs> And also, of course, from the For Every Kind of Geek YouTube channel, it's Doug! Thank you for having me back. I feel like it's been forever, but uh, I guess to keep it on theme, I came back the long way round. I'm always happy to be here. Ah, last time I saw you two, I was uh, trapped inside of what looks like a sundial, and I've been there for about (laughs) two million years. By my estimation. If I look at the stars, I'm inside, so I can't see them. <laughs> what was your horrifying nightmare that was chasing you around? I don't remember. The only thing I do remember is that it was one hell of a bird. <laughs> we're, I... we're, we're talking some Doctor Who. We're going to be talking about uh, our favorite doctors, 
some of our favorite episodes and just kind of celebrating 60 years because 60 years is a long time for a show to be around and with us kind of in a flashpoint not that one of doctor who as they move into the disney plus era kicking things off with the return of david tennant and the role of the 14th doctor before we move whole hog into the era of the 15th doctor with shooty gatwa we are just gonna take kind of a doug is just freaking amped right now i can barely (laughs) contain myself (laughs) this this is more this is the most excited i've seen doug like physically (laughs) like the entire time i've known him um I I am so, so excited to talk about this because Doctor Who is very near and dear to my heart. But before we get into the discussion proper, I want to ask each of you, we'll start with Doug. How were you introduced to Doctor Who? I'm very curious. So I, I have a bit of a spotty history with Doctor Who. I was introduced back in high school because um, my high school had a Doctor Who club where I guess before class every day. What? Yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. This was this was like right around the time it sort of dropped on Netflix uh, to date myself. So <laughs> all of us would kind of like gather in uh, in homeroom and then just watch an episode each day. And I kind of got um, a sampler of like all the different eras. We saw a little bit of Tom Baker. We saw a little bit of the new stuff. Um, but I guess to foreshadow i got really hooked on on the new seasons through netflix and i have been uh, a diehard ever since hell yeah and what about you um my story is very similar i also got into doctor who around high school um i it's one of those things where it's just the the weight of the show is probably the coolest thing about it because before i even heard like the name doctor who i feel like i knew what the show was because it's referenced and talked about in so many different, you know, other forms of media and other shows and other movies. And it feels like you can't go five feet sometimes without hitting a Doctor Who reference. And I remember very specifically seeing images of the Tom Baker Doctor getting replicated in other places. Like it would pop up on like Family Guy or it'd pop up um, just in like Robot Chicken or all those things that I had like auxiliary ancillary um, knowledge of but I wasn't sure what the show was and I remember casually tuning in once right before Matt Smith had um, became the doctor Mm. it was they were having a doctor who marathon all day on like the BBC and there were all these trailers like come check out the doctor who marathon before the new doctor arrives I'm like oh so just like they just keep getting new guys that's weird it's like an agency or something what what happens (laughs) And so I watched the first episode I ever saw parts of, because I didn't finish the episode, was um, New Earth. And I remember they threw him into a weird pod and there were cat nuns and weird um, zombie people walking around. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go back to Nickelodeon for a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what I was watching at the time. (laughs) I don't know what a Samba is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if I had seen that part, I would have been, I would have lost my mind. Um, But yeah. I didn't come back to until later when a friend is like, you really, you really should give it a try. And I started watching it. And I remember it took a while for me to get into it because it was so campy and different in that way. Like I had been so used to sci-fi series that took themselves so seriously. And I remember as a kid reading through like all the Star Wars, like um, encyclopedias and stuff like that, where they had detailed um, biologies and back 
backgrounds and scientific explanations for like why all the planets are the way they are and it's like i was used to sci-fi that had a structure and this was a show that had none of that and i'm like well it makes no sense that all the aliens look humanoid that makes no sense to me it's like and everything is so unreal the budget is like nothing and it i think it was the show that made me get over like that stick in my ass and it's just like hey you can have fun with a sci-fi show that's allowed and i just got hooked onto the magic and the charisma of the doctor as a character i don't think a, a character had ever captured me with that just pure magnetism before and it was it was something that you know i think back and i tried to emulate so much it, it's, it's the cringiest thing to admit i tried to incorporate so much of the doctor into who i was as a person i started wearing leather jackets i started wearing converse um I started act. I started trying to incorporate Doctor Who mannerisms in high school because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And it's like, if I think this is the coolest thing in the world, then if I do it, everyone else will think that's cool too. So, yeah, some of that still stuck around. Um, <laughs> it was it was a show that just it it meant the world to me and still does. And I'm so glad that I was there for the 50th and I'm here for the 60th too. And it makes me so happy to to feel like I'm going to be there for the 70th, 70th as well. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's so funny because like, I feel like you, you were saying like, oh, it's the cringiest thing, but like, I feel like everybody did that. Like if, mm -hmm. if they're if they're fans of like Doctor Who, they've incorporated something like Doctor Who got me into Converse, like full stop. Like that was like, okay, that's it. I took the time and I was like looking up the proper, yep, there they are. Wow. <laughs> and just showed off pure red converse the staple mm -hmm. um and like i remember i took the time i was because i'm neurotic i've had to find out what hair products they were using for david Tennant's doctor <laughs> so i could get my hair to stick up that same way like i i did like everything like i love doctor and it's funny because i was introduced to it and Doug, you're talking about dating yourself. I'm going to date myself right now. Uh, Y'all remember epic rap battles of history? Yes. Oh my gosh, um, yes. I was introduced to it because I was watching through their catalog. This was years ago. And they had one where it was the Doctor versus Doc Brown from <laughs> Back to the Future. It's incredible. And I had no idea what was going on. And I was like, what? is this who is this person <laughs> and uh shout out to my friend juan uh who got me like super into it we went to a uh, a local convention and uh it was tucson comic-con i think and everybody was there everybody was obsessed this was like 2011 i think 2011 2012 and people were obsessed and i was like this is this is like a phenomenon like this is interesting and i got into it and they were in the lead up towards the towards the 50th because i think when i first got into it they had just aired name of the doctor so this was matt smith's final like episode before the big 50th and i was like okay so i i i need to do some i need to do some research here and i went back and i started my my journey with eccleston and we'll get into our favorite doctors later, but like how it's grown, like you were saying, and the fact that we were here for the 50th and it feels like it's already the 60th, like where did the last decade go? Um, 
it's wild and how much the show has grown and evolved and changed and in some aspects stayed very much the same uh, across the last 10 years is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. But we are like we were saying earlier, on the cusp of like a whole new era, they've announced that new who is done and Doctor Who is starting over. We're getting the old comic books rebrand. Get ready for newer who. <laughs> All new, newer all different hoo -er. who. Newer who -er. That's the one. Done. <laughs> um, Let's get that hashtag yeah. circulating. <laughs> hashtag newer who -er. uh, Get that rolling, please. But I, man, it's it's amazing kind of looking back at the monolith that is Doctor Who and how it started off as this hokey, you know, educational show and it's turned into this gigantic franchise that mm -hmm. now has the big Disney bucks behind it. So we're going to see all kinds of things, gang. I am both excited and horrified at the same time because, <laughs> you know, Disney. But it does make me really excited to see where we're going with it. And we're going to talk about it. But I am stoked to get into the past of Doctor Who. What we've loved that's already come before. And so I am going to turn the table over to y'all. Um, we're going to cover a few different topics uh, today. Talking about our favorite Doctor. And let's let's... Let's do that first. Let's establish all of our favorite doctors because that's going to inform our stuff going forward from there. So, Anne, who is your favorite doctor? Okay, so <laughs> before I say it, I need to make it clear that there is one that I'm sure everyone expects me to say is my favorite doctor <laughs> because I am nothing if not a predictable walking gay thirsty stereotype. But it, she it's not her it's not her <laughs> what my favorite doctor yes i am i'm allowed to like male characters too um my favorite doctor has been peter capaldi since the end of series eight beautiful and it's just there's something so special about his era i don't i think it's the weakest of moffat's tenure as showrunner but I think he gives some of the most impassioned and deep and complex performances I've seen from the doctor ever. I think he is such an interesting person who really feels the weight of being the doctor without having to carry that burden of the time war with him. It's the first time we get to see the doctor free of that, but it, it it's interesting to see him take up his traumas and his, own insecurities in different ways and it's this it's the first time the doctors felt like an ancient character to me and it's not because peter capaldi is an older actor but because of the way that he interacts with people and how he handles his um adventures in ways that have been so different to how david Tennant and matt smith handled theirs he was just a completely different beast who was always cunning always clever and always shockingly kind. He had to get there, and it was a progression for him to to relearn that. But I love I love his arc, going from someone who is intentionally bitter and trying to keep Clara from developing those feelings for him and trying to keep himself distant, 
I I think it it's so it's so interesting to look back at and everything from um, his speech in the Zygon inversion to um, it's absolutely un unprecedented and unbeaten. One of my favorite moments in anything, whether it's film or television or novels, it's just un, it's an unbeatably beautiful monologue. Yeah. To the the absolute fun that he had in episode i keep going back to um the fun concepts of episodes like the mummy on the orient express and yes. um, the time heist um i loved getting to see him and davros um and there's no other doctor that i think could have pulled off um hell um hellbent there's no other doctor i think that could have pulled off a solo performance in an episode he it's just absolutely a monster of a doctor he's unreal mm-hmm. like it's capaldi was and i i remember i had specifically like taken the time i i did the impossible thing right <laughs> where i was like i avoided all social media i didn't know that Capaldi was going to be the next doctor until That's so he regenerated. Insane. It is insane. And looking back, there's no way I could do it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like I barely got through one day after the Jodie Whittaker announcement, mm-hmm. but like they did the announcement. And I, I remember cause I was big on Facebook. I was like, do not tell me, do not tell me. I'm not looking up this information. If you spoil this for me, our friendship is over. And like, I took that seriously mm-hmm. for like six months. And I was not sure how Capaldi was going to work out because it's mm-hmm. as this crotchety old man. It's like, wasn't he in the Pompeii episode? And he's, he's incredible. Like you mentioned the Zygon episode. Um, one moment for him that always sticks with me is in uh it's in deep breath his very first episode Mm -hmm. it's at the very end where after the phone call and Mm -hmm. i did spoilers for a lot of this i suppose i should just (laughs) we should just say off the jump um we're gonna be spoiling shit out of a lot of this yeah but after the conversation that clara has with eleven and she hangs up and he just goes like i'm not there on the phone like i'm here like just see me and it was like not just it it felt very meta because it's like yo all all the fans who are thirsting after matt smith i get it (laughs) but i'm here now it's gonna be cool i promise just stick with me it's gonna be cool and like that moment is like my define like what i think of whenever i think of capaldi's doctor but yeah that is not the choice that i thought you were going to make i thought you were going to go with your your tried and true your classic <laughs> hey there's she's not my favorite but jody honestly probably means more for me than a lot of the other doctors do just because of what she represented yeah. to a at the time very in the closet and um I she she helped me come to terms with a lot of feelings that I had for a very long time. I remember right after that announcement trailer, I couldn't stop watching. I couldn't stop watching it. Like I rewatched it, I rewatched it, I rewatched it, and it just made me feel so insanely happy. And there'd always been a part of the Doctor being able to you know change his face and change everything about him that like really resonated with me, and I couldn't figure out why until that moment. And it was only like a like a month or so after 
I was, um, there was a Halloween um, concert that I was doing the sound stuff for, and you were supposed to dress up in a costume. And me still very much presenting and identifying as male, I chose Jody's um, announcement costume just oh. without a second thought. And I'm like, this just feels like the right costume to wear. I just, it feels good. And I don't, it, it getting to see that meant so much. And, you know, it just, I, I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? If the doctor can regenerate, then so can I. And I've, I've always, I, I've, a lot of Doctor Who helped me through that entire time of my life. Like I've always called my transition, um, my regeneration when I want to be funny about it. And I realized I, then when I picked my name, I did the same thing the doctor did where the doctor's like the name you pick, it's a promise you make to yourself. And so when I picked Carol Ann, I picked Ann because part of it reminded me of who I was before and what I wanted to carry on. And Carol, I picked because it reminded me of who I wanted to be and to remind me to keep moving to the future. So I, there's so much about the sh this show and this character that I will carry with me until the day I die, just on the the principle of that alone. Yeah. So Doug, Incredible. if you could follow that, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I can say something stupid if it would help. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna need like a a solid five minutes to just ramp up to that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm so glad you you share that that was that was the dopest thing yeah that's like, that's that so incredible cool. <sighs> yeah, all right we got I... four more minutes to fill before doug <laughs> before doug's ready to go uh i can i can do this <laughs> you got it i believe in you it's we not gonna be the same uh but um talk about qualm <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's apt because that kind of falls under my my purview for this um, I guess I, I could be classified as a more basic choice, but uh, I love what I consider to be the the classics of the new Who era. Um, like I said, I got interested in high school right around the time uh, new Who was kicking off, but uh, specifically what I really vibed with was David Tennant as the 10th Doctor. Yeah. And um, I, I mean... <sighs> I granted this is very subjective, but to me, he feels like the most classic version of the character in the modern day, like the most archetypal sort of mm -hmm. swashbuckling heroic version of this character, just because, I mean, coming off of Chris Eccleston, which was like a huge departure from what we knew about the character, obviously like um, a conflicted kind of like haunted war torn take who wore all black and talked in a very like gruff voice david tennant was like a kind of a sort of split the difference approach where he still had like a little bit of um he still had a little bit of edge to him because i think he he's seen as like a continuation of eccleston but he's he also represents a step beyond that and uh, I guess, like, speaking to the larger direction, he's kind of, like, he's the answer to the, kind of, like, the darkness of the early 2000s. Kind of the answer to say, no, we can move beyond that. And even though it's going to take work and it's not going to be linear, we can sort of get there. 
And um, I guess it's because I've always sort of identified with the the tropes and dynamics of superheroes. And I think it's because Tenant hits a lot of those similar beats. Uh, I identify with somebody who deals with a lot of dark stuff and then goes, no, I can turn this into something positive. And that's, uh, that's something that I've always really sort of vibed with. That and the fact that Tenant's a huge nerd who loves... <laughs> Like he unironically loves every part of Doctor Who, and that's that's just another level that I can connect on. I feel that that, that that's kind of the dream, right? Is being obsessed with mm-hmm. something and then getting to contribute to that thing. Yeah, like, the fact that he married into that too. <laughs> that it's been a, it's been a long con. He, yeah, he's, he's the Triple H of Doctor Who. He's worked his butt off and married into the right family to get to where he is today. <laughs> So what we're saying is David Tennant's technically a Nepo baby. You know what? <laughs> I don't think we're not saying that. <laughs> He's a Nepo baby it, in law. It's wibbly wobbly timey wimey, but yeah. he got there in the end. <laughs> wibbly wobbly <laughs> Nepo wepo. <laughs> Babe, wake up. A new Nepo baby just dropped. New style of Nepo baby. No, I, I love Tennant. Like there is something magical. And I think you hit the nail on the head. He's the most like superhero of all of them. Like he's practically wearing a cape. Yeah. At all times. (laughs) He's got his, especially I I have to ask, just pull the room. Mm -hmm. Blue suit or brown suit? (sighs) See, it depends, you know, (laughs) Um, it's a color contrast thing for me. Uh, if he's wearing the brown coat then it's the blue suit but uh spoilers if he's got a blue coat then i love the brown suit (laughs) that's fair that's fair that's also a different doctor doug technically i'm a fake fan (laughs) i'm get off the podcast i'm got him we got him um no it's brown suit i i prefer the brown suit really i don't know i think it's just the end of time of it all um oh yeah yeah that's fair that's, I get it's, that. It's an iconic way to go out. So <laughs> for sure. I'm I'm a blue suit guy. I love I love anytime you can introduce blue into a character's color palette and mm-hmm. pairing those with the red converse. Like that's what got I was like, I guess I gotta get red converse now. <laughs> and that's what got me into that. Um he's not just to, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say not to I'm sorry if I cut you off. No, but no, I was no. gonna say that's also the look that he had when he said, I would never do that. When he yeah. famously throws the gun away. Throws the gun. God. Build a society around a man who never would. Not ah. to say it's all about the suit, but it kind of is. <laughs> it's kind of all about the suit. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if we're being real here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's fascinating that we all have different favorite doctors, and that makes me oh, very, yeah. very happy. Um, I've mentioned it before on the pod, but I will shout it to the moon. Uh, the ninth doctor will always be my doctor. Um, he was the one that I started with. He is the one that I tell everyone to start with, even though his, his series has not aged well. Uh, the, the effects are, they are what they are for the time, but Mm -hmm. I love how kitschy it is. And I love the how that's contrasted like all the kind of silliness of it is contrasted with a very grounded performance with Eccleston like you mentioned it Doug like 
I'm a sucker for post-war stories. I just love stuff like that. Just to see like the aftermath, to see how it affects people. And a post-war doctor who is haunted, uh, who doesn't have any of the whimsy that we're that we've known before, especially going from the contrast of like the eighth doctor movie who's just like i i love shoes this is great and he's just like this romance novel character he's in for and a bad time he's in for a <laughs> bad time and he has no idea and then eccleston is just like he's obviously haunted he's obviously dealing with heavy ptsd but he still has times to be silly he still has time to like make fun of his ears and like give the gift of air like i love him <laughs> so much and he is also i think i mean one of the most visually distinct doctors mm -hmm. he is just he he scratches a very particular itch for me and what i love about characters and so that's that's my guy always has been Oh, I love that. It's one of my favorite things about the Ninth Doctor is I I that I wish that the first season had been able to go beyond the Earth. Yeah. I feel like keeping him yeah. in that orbit limited the show a little bit. I I understand why they did it, but it's always fun to get Ninth Doctor comics and novels where he gets yes. to go beyond that. And I think it's because he has such an iconic voice that every time I read it. It, he, I think I have the easiest time picturing him actually talking in my head out of all the doctors. Yeah. And it makes things so great. Have you read um, Dan Slott did a um, a Ninth Doctor story? Did you get yes. to read that one? I love it so much. We, the we homonyms? Were, oh my oh, god. We were just talking about this like off mic for the book club, me and Malcolm, because he has been obsessing, like getting caught up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just also just as a side note, what a banner month for Dan Slott. Oh right? my god, yeah. November has been. <laughs> but yeah, like, that you to your point, that comic is amazing. Mm -hmm. oh, it's just I, I love it when a, a Doctor Who comic gets to take something that wouldn't work in the television medium and run with it. Because sometimes I've the, the big problem with the comics is sometimes they just feel like a lot of nothing burgers where it's like, yep, yeah. that was a Doctor Who story. All right. But so far Dan Slot's been doing exactly what I hoped he'd do, and he's like, No, we're gonna gonna fucking have some fun with it he's like this is as close as i'm gonna get to writing this this show so i'm 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 doing it and he is he is killing it so still holding out hope he can get there one day i oh, mean God. we we've got that disney marvel connection now so that's true he just needs to write one episode <laughs> we we just need to get him on one episode and mm -hmm. then like the universe will align and yep. everything will be okay Hey, look, if Dan Slott gets on, then that's that's suddenly a beacon of hope for Americans everywhere. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God. No kidding. Oh, my God. I remember what? when they were when there was those rumors for I think it was series nine or series 10 where they're like, Peter Jackson's going to direct an episode mm -hmm. of Doctor Who. And we're like, this is the greatest news ever. And then it didn't happen. But yeah i i would love to see more you know outside of the uk talents allowed mm -hmm. to be in that creative space because there's so much that you can oh yeah do. And oh, just introducing and... new voices and everything would be so yeah. fun well especially it's such because... a global phenomenon now oh, go yeah. Ahead, yeah oh i was i was gonna say exactly what you were gonna say like it's funny because i think since new who kicked off it's really it's really broadened to like this very global appeal because uh, I think sci-fi can connect with everyone. There's something like inherently adventurous and, you know, sort of wish fulfilly about it that makes everyone 
want to take part in it. And that I think is a fantastic bridge between, you know, nations, between cultures. It's, it's just a really universal experience. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's the, the amount that it's blown up. And I think, I mean, we, we, we very specific, specifically somehow did not mention him but the 11th doctor's appeal really did a whole lot to like blow mm -hmm. up the popularity of oh, that yeah. franchise especially across the pond like i remember going through you know catching up on all of the the 11th doctor stuff and when they had the impossible astronaut and i'm like oh my god they're in america what are they doing here no way and, and they got the one american in that episode to be played by a scotsman that's so funny they it's had so to. funny they had to do it but it's it's like you mentioned before and it's a global phenomenon like it is huge like you could go into and i remember the, this being the wildest thing when i realized you could do this you could go into a hot topic or a box lunch if you're nasty and go like pick up doctor who merch you could mm -hmm. buy a sonic screwdriver i have somewhere the sonic screwdriver uh uh universal remote like I was dedicated. I once I found out that that was a thing that you could buy, I was like, "This is all I'm focusing on. I have to have this." And it I worked. To, I need and to it ask, was incredible. Do you own a Fez anywhere in your apartment? I don't currently have it because I gave it to a friend because we were have <laughs> weird. It was when I was making the big move, mm. and he's like a big Eleventh Doctor guy, and I had had the Fez. But you had was, one. I where, had one. That's the but important. I, I had thing. to do the whole, you know, One Piece Shanks putting the hat on Luffy mm -hmm. with the Aww. Fez, and I was like, "It's yours <sighs> now." <laughs> and then I got my arm bitten off by a sea creature, but it's. There's there's lost media out there somewhere, but there's definitely a picture of me with a fez on yes. that I found in like an FYE. Ugh. Um FYE in high school. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and also I've I've dressed up as four of the doctors. Um bonus points if you guess all of them. Um oh. but I there was a tweed suit that I found in my uncle's closet, and I'm like, fuck, this is the easiest thing I'm ever gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> It is one of those, like, for the most part, Doctor Who is very closet cosplay friendly, mm -hmm. and I do kind of love it about it. Yeah. The only, like, big time commitment I've did, I've done, like, financially and also, like, <laughs> time wise for a Doctor Who cosplay was I did uh, Captain Jack, and I okay. went in on getting the coat. Ooh. And That's, it is, yeah. it's abby shot it's no it's discontinued i had to go out to find it but i got it it's incredible it's heavy as hell i can't <laughs> wear it like as a normal day-to-day -day thing because it's gigantic but yeah we did it was my final phoenix comic-con before i moved out to la and we had a little group of i was captain jack and i had three doctors with me it was 10 11 and 12 and we just 
took Phoenix Comic Con by storm. We have this picture that I still hold near and dear to my heart. It was one of those like little dioramas that's meant to be like a Gotham City rooftop, but we mm-hmm. all just kind of climbed on there. I'll I'll post it up on Twitter for people who want to see it. But like it's me, Captain Jack, sitting at the bottom, showing off the Vortex Manipulator, and we've got the three doctors kind of above me, just kind of all looking out. It's incredible. I That's love so that. funny. I um, uh, I'm so, I'm sorry, I cut you off, Anne. But no, no, uh, please. I I also did a Captain Jack cosplay in high <gasps> school. Very budget friendly. Yeah. Uh, like. No joke, my uh, I raided my grandfather's closet for the costume, and he had, he literally had uh, like an Air Force uniform that was navy colored, same boots, same pants, same suspenders, Yo, same everything. Yes, and uh, that was that was like a a formative time for me. Hell yeah! Ever dressed as the Doctor, I did go as Captain Jack. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I the the most effort I ever put into a Doctor Who costume was the twelfth Doctor, oh. and what I did is I needed the long black coat, mm-hmm. and I didn't have one. I just had a black button up shirt. But at this point, I had already made two Green Lantern costumes out of duct tape, nice. um, so I knew the um, ways that you can use duct tape. So I used blacked up duct tape to extend this button-up shirt into a jacket and then red duct tape to line the insides of it so that i had the most discount 12th doctor jacket in the world and And that is that that is is so cool thing i have ever heard it was so fun and it worked i remember going to a party at um a fraternity house and ran into a missy there and that was the funniest (gasps) thing in the world oh God, that's so freaking cool. <laughs> like, that's one day, like, my next, like, Doctor Who purchase is I want that, like, yeah. I want, like, the midnight blue coat with the red lining, like. It's so sexy. It's Such so a sexy cool. And it's just mm-hmm. a beautiful looking jacket. I've thankfully gotten my one staple jacket, <laughs> my big, like, canvas jacket. It makes me feel like Joel from The Last of Us. But, like, that is the one where I'm like, this is this is my grail right now. So you, I that's your no, that's your staple item? You don't want, like, a big billowy leather jacket with big baggy black jeans? You know, I, I did want that at one point, but then I found out that a big billowy leather jacket with big baggy clothes does not look good on a 5'5 five, five frame. Uh, makes you look smaller. And I already look small enough, Doug. Hey, you know what would look really great? A nice patchwork coat full of really bright colors like red and yellow and green and blue and i i think you could pull it off and you were question marks in there somewhere um i think does I it think come in blue could i just do um, it all no in but blue? you can put a little stock of celery on the lapel oh okay i'm in today yeah hell yeah it's a fashion statement <laughs> i don't like the energy a coat like that throws off though <laughs> <laughs> that listen that, that looks like a guy who's a- gonna Who's going to do something bad? <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah, that was the sixth yeah. doctor. That coat was just, a cry for help. Just just, wa- just walking the streets of LA at midnight with that coat billowing around me. <laughs> no wonder me. he got shot. No kidding. No, it's a I, different I, no. doctor. <laughs> it is. 
but, all, but all it, you classic doctors look the same to me. It's, um, it's not like the sixth doctor had a better regeneration. He bonked his head and he had to regenerate. Off screen, they did Colin. They did Colin so dirty. They did. Oh, my, my friend um Glenn Matchett has the best he headcanon for that jacket though. He says, as far as I'm concerned, the sixth doctor is colorblind. And he <gasps> thought he was just fine. <laughs> oh yeah, that makes total sense. He's he's like, this is perfect. He's like, this is great. There it's just a, just a bunch of shades of gray. I love this. Exactly. Hails from the TARDIS. Get on that. Get on it immediately. <laughs> Gosh. So Wait. we've we've established all of our favorite doctors. Mm -hmm. Now we should talk about our favorite episodes because we took a lot of time and we came very prepared to this specific recording. Oh, we spent mm -hmm. months on these lists and we definitely did not make them right before we recorded. So I we hope that we made the list. Just, okay, sorry. No, no, go ahead. So, uh, uh, listener, I hope you appreciate all the effort and the <laughs> preparation that we put into this because these are the definitive best episodes. If anyone says they aren't, they're liars. They serve the Cybermen and they should not be trusted. So just be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, so we've, we've each got five, probably, and... <laughs> <laughs> we are going to go through them one by one. Um, I will go ahead and kick things off with my number five. And I figure we'll go through our fives, our fours, our threes, so on and so mm -hmm. forth. My number five might be a weird choice, A Christmas Carol. Mm. Now, this yes. was the first Christmas special for the 11th Doctor. And to this day is still my favorite Christmas special in Doctor mm -hmm. Who. I oh, love yeah. it so much. It's exactly what you think. It's a Christmas carol in space with time travel and the 11th Doctor. And it's it still makes me choked up whenever I think about yeah. it. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. Um, one of the episodes that truly uses the time travel to the mm -hmm. greatest extent that they could for a Christmas story. Um, it's incredible. I love this. I love this episode to death. Flying freaking sharks. Flying sharks. <laughs> the pool Santa's fucking sleigh. It's, sorry, can we it's on this podcast. <laughs> it fucking slays. Yes, you can swear as much as you want. Um, yeah, I I just I think it's one of those episodes that really gets to why the Doctor works as a character and why Doctor Who does Christmas specials mm -hmm. because there are some there are some Christmas specials. Not all of them are created equal. Uh, they're they're all wonderful, but there are some where I look at it and I was like, this didn't need to be a Christmas episode. But <laughs> this one, yes. <laughs> But I love that one so much. Uh, but I love this episode. I think it's a perfect episode to show to people uh, for a Christmas special. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's tremendous. And it's still in this period where uh, Moffat was like, let's just keep doing stuff. We haven't. I haven't run out of ideas. We're having a great time. And Matt Smith's still looking like a child. Let's have him <laughs> bond with this old man. I I love that episode. It's amazing. Let's give him a steampunk stovepipe Victorian hat. Because so why not? Much. Uh, I I do I'm I'm right there with you because like something that really clicked with me is uh there's one interview where Moffat 
goes out of his way to say to him, Doctor Who is a fairy tale. Yeah. And I feel like if you go in knowing that, that opens the door for his entire take on this character. He, I mean, he clearly thinks beyond the sci-fi framework and he thinks there's like a magical element to that. And I think mm -hmm. uh, his Christmas specials do such a great job at capturing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Anne. Beautiful, beautiful episode. What's okay, your number five? So I'm approaching these um, because, you know, I've, I've definitely come super duper prepared. Um, yeah, we all did. Yeah, I decided sure. probably about a month ago, actually, that I would approach this in a way that would hopefully let me pick five great episodes, get great coverage over this, and hopefully not step on anyone's toes in the process. I'm going to pick one episode from each of the new Who Doctors. Ooh. So... And I'm going to try to pick ones that aren't typically regarded as like, this is like the masterpiece. This is the one you have to see to understand this doctor. I'm picking the ones that mean the most to me. And for the ninth doctor, this is going to be my most out-of-pocket pick for the whole list, I think. But my, did I say 11th doctor? I meant ninth, ninth doctor. For the ninth, ninth doctor pick, I'm picking Boomtown. How did I know? How did I know? How did I, I, I know you were going to pick Boomtown? Boomtown is a weird episode for me because I remember watching it so much when I was in high school. It was like the one from that season I'd always go back and rewatch. And I even remember the food I was eating. I was eating good Mike and Mike sells good and hot chips. I <laughs> <laughs> very specific memory of this episode. Um means a lot to me that way. Not um, British chips though, right? Just regular potato chips. Crisps, as they're called. Red-blooded American chips. America. <laughs> Gave me, a, put up at least five pounds on me. Um, <laughs> Boomtown is just a really fun episode for the Ninth Doctor because it's an episode where he just gets to have a little bit of fun. Um, it's the only episode you really get where Jack, Rose, and him are all working together. Mickey's there too, and I love Mickey so much. Yeah, And... They have to go and confront um, what's her face. I forget, I forget what her her character's name is, but she's one of the Slovene who was left over from the twofer of um, Aliens of London and World War Three, which is uh, ironically my least favorite two parter of that season. Really? Yeah, Dude, I did not like. I don't like the <laughs> Slovene very much at all. Listen disagree that was that's that's as far as you could push the campy for me the farting aliens i'm like okay listen let's <laughs> hold up fair enough but i loved her as a villain i loved her performance in this episode i loved her moral dilemmas where she's starting to realize am i the baddie and she <laughs> she has to make that choice and it sets up for the finale very well by showing the heart of the tardis um there's so many great one-liners and moments like the I will always remember the moment she's running away in the the, the alleyway and she teleports away and the doctor just flips his sonic screwdriver and she's running back and she then she does running. it again and she keeps getting closer and closer and she's like okay fine and the <laughs> what did I ever do to you it's like you tried to kill me and blow up this entire planet apart from that she's she's so great I love that actress so much when I saw her in Ted Lasso, I like screamed because I'm like, oh my God, yes. that's right. 
there's also the minute where like he asks what her name is or she goes you never even asked my name and he goes okay what's your name and she gives a long answer but because it just starts with blonde he goes nice to meet you blonde <laughs> gets back to ordering oh, doctor's so good the moment where she tries to assassinate him with her poison dart finger yeah. he just catches it matrix catch, catches it out of the air that's oh, nice so good he was a stone cold killer in that episode in all the episodes oh yeah all right doug what do you got for number five all right well first off i i feel like i don't have any numerical order for these but uh oh gosh there's so many good ones i mean i feel like i need to start with a splash so let's just dig right in first for me would be volcano day maybe (gasps) one of my favorite episodes with one of my favorite doctors because i think this is like a pivotal moment in his arc as a character um like i said like uh 10 is to me a very super heroic take on the character but uh if you go through a lot of uh the Martha and Donna seasons you wouldn't really know it because <laughs> towards the end of his tenure uh 10 is going through it yeah. <laughs> he he kind of has this uh kind of like brief detour where he gets a bit disconnected and he becomes a bit nihilistic uh part of him is sort of like caught between can I move beyond this and well, this is just what I'm given. So I might as well live with it. Uh, And there's an amazing episode where um, he's paired up with one of my favorite companions, Donna Noble uh, played by the amazing Catherine Tate, who is this amazing, like she is an incredible counter to the doctor's whole deal. He'll, he'll always like, kind of lay out the rules and then she'll go uh no i'm gonna do my own thing and uh volcano day is like the the zenith of that where basically they arrive in this ancient roman province and you find out it's pompeii and the whole thing becomes a treatise on like okay this is a show about time travel obviously some stuff can't be rewritten but like how far do you go if you care about these people, what rules are you willing to break? And, you know, like what, what is really set in stone? And um, it, to me, I think it's the best case scenario for a story like this. It shows just how heroic the doctor can be, how human he can be and how far he can go to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a great pick. That that episode too is just it's it's it was almost on my list for sure. Um like the like you said the the journey that Tennant goes on once he loses Rose is incredible. My boy is going through it. He has like <sighs> he has lost like that we've all we've all been hung up on an ex before and like Mm -hmm. it's it's a fascinating thing to watch him kind of work his way out of it um the martha season i think for him is fascinating because he's like he's flirting with a rebound like it's it's one of those very specific things that is 
unfortunate because that character i think had a lot more to give than what she was given Mm -hmm. but fires of pompeii is like having that be this is the episode that establishes the dynamic between tenant and tate is i mean it's incredible it also gives us our first peter capaldi sighting that's true there's a lot of formative stuff that gets also karen gillen yeah karen oh gillen my god you're right she's one of the cultists <laughs> yeah yeah literally every future doctor who uh extra companion they all show up in this episode you They're can quote there. me on that <laughs> every single one is actually one of the marketplace people if you look <laughs> I you have to look she's very one of the rock specific. monsters <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's that's actually uh that's actually uh dan from jody's season that's it's actually oh. john bishop i keep forgetting <laughs> I cannot remember Dan's name. You cannot pay me to remember Dan's name. <laughs> if you look closely, you can see Ryan Sinclair throwing his bike over the over the <laughs> volcano in the background. <laughs> you can see Graham is actually wandering pretty aimlessly through the background. Of the God, I wish. God, if if I want, if there is a single companion that I think should be retroactively someone who clara oswald's his way into every single doctor's adventure it should be graham oh my god that yeah. companion deserves to be in everything i He's love just giving him the double so thumbs up everywhere just everywhere <laughs> like graham was my favorite whitaker companion i wish it had just been him at the beginning obviously the rest of the team is incredible and i love them so much but graham graham mm-hmm. yeah that Oh, that's such a good episode too. Like oh, yeah. the 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 performance from Catherine Tate where she's like just save somebody. Moves Please. me like I get a Beautiful. lump in my throat every time I I see that scene of Capaldi reaching out to Tennant. Oh, oh. god. Come with me. And mm. and when you get that scene again and um the girl who died and yeah. Peter Capaldi's finally coming to the realization of why'd you give me this face and then you get the the flashback and david Tennant shows up and it, it hits you twice as hard then it, it's so great the way it comes back yeah it's funny how he keeps coming back <laughs> weird isn't kind of it a theme with that guy weird I, I love how i'm thinking about um the day of the doctor when um <laughs> matt smith and um tom baker having their conversation tom baker's like maybe revisiting a few favorites eh not not either one of us of course you know they, they obviously guy not. just left maybe but, just you know, one of the old favorites <laughs> over and over the... and over again <laughs> nepo babies stepo nepo babies i'm just saying <laughs> nepo in law <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, what a great freaking episode. What a great freaking episode. Oh, yeah. um, so my number four, I didn't mean for this to be a, a double header of 11th Doctor, but I love the 11th Hour. Oh, yeah. 11th Hour might be the best introduction episode mm-hmm. to give someone who has nothing and knows nothing about the Doctor like i'm obviously biased because i think rose is the greatest introduction to doctor who that you could ever find however 11th doctor objectively got a lot of people into doctor who and the 11th hour being a debut for him is wonderful just the Mm -hmm. structure of it the 
dual narratives of Amy Pond and 11th Doctor, um, the reveal of yeah. that was 12 years ago. Like, I love that. Stuff. And the story behind it's fascinating, too, because to to Doug's love, like this was originally going to be a 10th Doctor season before Tennant bowed out. And I cannot imagine mm-hmm. what this episode would have looked like. I mean, with it's tenant. literally it's literally girl in the fireplace if you think yeah about it. <laughs> that's so true mm-hmm. which i love i love yeah. that episode yeah. moffat was like just play the old hits <laughs> let's do it again <laughs> we know it works let's start strong <laughs> don't fix it if it ain't broke but like it introduces us to amy pond may uh it's tough she she's a top five companion for me for sure oh yeah um and then also rory who is just incredible <laughs> That poor man. The world is ending and I'm in my pants. And he's just <laughs> standing there in his underwear. Um, incredible stuff. The, what what was it? The, uh, the I can't even remember the name of the thing. It was like the Galaxiflacatorian. I know that's not what it is. But the giant eyeball in the sky that's searching. And, you know, we get our, you know, our, necessary and contractually obligated bbc olivia coleman appearance for this episode and when they go through kind of like the montage at the end of all the different doctors and then matt smith steps through (sighs) it's like what a what a statement to make Mm -hmm. for this character Mm -hmm. it is that scene is one I very specifically showed so many of my friends because it made me feel like so happy and so yeah. energized when like you all have to see this. I need to I need you to feel the same thing I'm feeling right now because this is the most <laughs> badass I've ever seen a man in a bow tie in my entire life. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just it's, it's not so just a bow tie. Expensive. It's several ties. Yeah. And that episode is the first time we get um Matt Smith's um doctor theme, which is probably the most oh. iconic piece of work that murray gold has put out yeah you're right i i might have to contradict you on that maybe later interesting oh we're gonna get into it i'm I'm feeling spicy today uh (laughs) yeah it's it's a wonderful episode i love that introduction i think it's a great episode to introduce to people with um yeah so that's 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 my number four and what do you got number four my number four takes us to the Tenth Doctor, which I have been mulling over my head for the last, you know, ten minutes, and <laughs> <laughs> there's so many great choices I could so pick. I could many. pick um, Voyage of the Damned, which is one of my favorite Christmas specials, and I think has the best soundtrack out of any Doctor oh, Who episode. Oh, it's incredible! Um, I could pick Midnight, which is absolutely terrifying. I could, but I'm going to pick one that was really special to me the first time I watched it because it was the first time that Doctor Who really connected to me just how big this franchise was. And I'm going to pick School Reunion because it was the first time where I realized like definitively that like my friends had already told me like this connects to the old show, but getting Sarah Jane Smith in there. And getting to see her interact with a character that was, you know, one she's never met before, but one she knows so well. And just letting you know that there's this legacy of the show out there. Like, if you love this, there's so much more out there that you can experience. And since then, I've become such a a fan of classic Who. I'm like, listen, the episodes 
give and take in quality. Most of them are, <laughs> I, I would not recommend them to most people, but I love this character. I love this universe so much that I will watch all of them, even though they are all five times longer than they need to be. Um, oh, yeah. And I love, I've, I've come to love every single doctor for their own unique quirks and, and personalities. Like I love the third doctor being just a little earthbound CIA type action hero with his Venusian Kung Fu and um his his silly his silly suits in his little car i love the fifth doctor for being there, there was a book called fear of the dark which by the way is what the satan pit that two-parter is based off of the fifth doctor mm. fought the devil oh. first actually in this little novel and there's a forward that was in it that made me love the fifth doctor because the person described the fifth doctor as this character who is so perfectly young and naively wholesome who kept having to face the absolute worst of humanity over and over and over again and never lost that optimism they said that he they thought he was a character who was challenged more than any other doctor had been so far and to be the youngest to do it and to be this like sort of outcast in that way was so fascinating to them and i'm like hell yeah i'm here for that and you know the eighth doctor of course i love I love my love, the eighth doctor, but this was the show that opened up that, that doorway to me and was like, there's so much more for me to experience. There's so much more for me to love. And I think that was, that was so special. And, you know, having, um, (sighs) Giles from Buffy show up as the bad guy is always, (laughs) always a treat. Yeah. Bad guy here, bad guy in Ted. Hey, I'm two for two with my Ted Lasso. Oh my God. You're right. Oh Lord! Uh, gotta find um so I'll, I can get my next Ted Lasso when I get to the um thirteenth Doctor. But so what, um, and what you're saying is Jason Sudeikis is going to be the next Doctor. Oh, no, I'm he's going to be the next Master. Oh, oh wow! He's keeping with, the mustache. With that mustache? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, Led Tasso is here. Led Tasso. <laughs> Well, Doctor, I um, just don't think that you're here to save anything, so I'm just going <laughs> I would pay so much money. I would pay all the money. He zaps him with a with a laser screwdriver and goes, barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> Total football. Hey, hey, Russell T. Davis, we found the idea for your next um, Children in Need special. Um, hit us up. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, and it's just the... the the dynamic between Sarah Jane and the doctor and that triangle between her and Rose is so fun. It's yeah. so, it's so stupid and petty at times, but it's so fun. And K9 is adorable. I love Mickey having the realization, oh my God, I'm the tin dog. Yeah. <laughs> so perfect. The gang is just absolutely unbelievable in this episode. It's so fun. Undersung, I think. And yeah, just, just great. Mm-hmm great episode yeah and and i do love that like you said it does uh it does make it feel all interconnected and jane Mm -hmm. you know sarah jane being like you know you left me in like a random neighborhood like you didn't leave me at home i had to walk for like two hours and he's just like oh my god it's it's and i love and um the um under the lake and before the flood episodes where he's flashing through those flashcards and one of the flashcards says sorry i didn't know you didn't live in aberdeen <laughs> oh no <laughs> god it's so good mm. beautiful all right doug you're up 
Well, I mean, next one's going to be a bit of a pivot because I didn't know uh, we had we could do multiple doctors for our favorite episodes, but uh, <laughs> I have a whole base of these anyway. So quick pivot. Uh, next favorite episode is going to be uh, Twice Upon a Time. Oh. Kind of building off of what Anne oh. said, this show does have an amazing legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh if you look at the doctor as a character across the ages, like it's so fascinating because in many ways he, he's an intensified version of who he was, but at the same time he has gone through so much. And I mean, great uh, kind of pivot points or a flash points to go off of is the time war, just to see how he's gone from like the sort of reserved, pacifist who will kind of outthink his opponent to someone who has had to get his hands dirty and like make very difficult choices and um i love twice upon a time for that because it pairs 12 peter capaldi's doctor Mm -hmm. arguably one of the darkest iterations of the character with his very well not his very but one of the first ones that we see uh which is um I guess technically speaking, it's, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. Uh, William Hartnell or technically David Bradley. Yeah. First doctor. But uh, it's so interesting because like the whole thing is basically um, watching this kind of buttoned up Victorian pacifist realize, oh, I've gone on a path and i've done some stuff and um it's both of them realizing that the mission has to carry on and like life is hard but at the same time it doesn't diminish all the good that you've done and um just the the fact that again like getting into spoilers but the fact that like their decision to embrace uh action is set against the f- the christmas truce of world war one oh my the god minute where <laughs> peace triumphs over war oh. sing a song yeah oh my god i how can you not love something like that uh to, you know to to shout out to another friend who we're trying to get into this series dallas this is the dallas! most grant morrison moment you can get in the show Watch this episode. It will sell you on Doctor Who. This is the all-star Superman of Doctor Who, Dallas. It is, though. (laughs) (sighs) But you know what? To that point, now that I'm thinking about it, it deals a lot with mortality. It deals a lot with the legacy you leave behind. Um, I I love this episode. When I heard Mm. that there was like a rumor of like the regeneration episode for the 12th doctor is going to be with the first doctor i lost my shit because i'm like they're two guys who hate change and they're gonna have to embrace change together this is the most incredible thing and like seeing you know having the first doctor kind of like admit like i'm kind of fucking scared i've never at least to his knowledge i've never done this before i don't know what i'm doing like what if what if the next guy sucks i don't know and like the 
you know, Capaldi just doing what Capaldi does, being incredible and also like dealing with, I don't want to change again. Like I don't, I've gone through enough of this. I'm an old man. I am an, I am a very old man and I'm tired of this and giving one of, you know, doing what he does best, giving a speech right before his mm -hmm. regeneration. I mean, God, oh, that... run fast, like be kind, like, oh, it makes me tear up. That's it's... sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you were talking earlier about how Capaldi was a surprise to you. Um, David Bradley showing up as the first doctor at the end of the last episode was one of the purest moments of surprise I've ever been blessed to have in any TV show ever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Him coming out of that, just the, the snow and realizing very slowly what the hell was happening. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this can't just, this isn't just a thing they throw out. This is a thing they throw out for anniversary specials. specials. They can't just throw out a doctor now. They can't just do a multi-doctor episode because they feel like it. And then they're like, yeah, we can. We just did. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. And... Oh, David Bradley was so great. I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, the first doctor would never be this sexist. I'm like, he, I'm because, you know, I'm, I'm coming in comic minded. I'm like, I'm always okay with them changing a character up a little bit from writer to writer if they're making yeah. a point. Yeah. And the whole episode was making a point. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with, you know, every change they made. Plus, I will never, ever forget the moment of him, Grandpappy Brigadier and Bill standing together. And he's like, don't worry, believe it or not. I've had my fair share oh of experiences with fair sex. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, British chuckle. <laughs> and then um, Bill's just like, so have I. And they're just like, oh. oh. <laughs> Clutching Martin, their pearls. I think Mark Gatiss uttered the words, good lord. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> it's like, yes, terrify these straights. Do it. But also to get like a last goodbye with Bill as well mm -hmm. like oh. that is a character that i adored the moment mm -hmm. that she popped up i was like bill rules and to get like kind of a goodbye for that outside of the hey let's get shot and just get turned into a cyber person and yeah that messed me up for a, a whole number of reasons long time <laughs> messed yeah. me up for a long time Doug, that video you shared where it's like they missed the um, opportunity for the hardest oh. intro cut ever. <laughs> Eric, have you seen this? No. Someone made a, the worst fan cut ever where it's that pan down of Bill and she's just got the huge hole in her sternum and their, their cut zooms into the hole and goes straight into the time vortex. No, <laughs> stop. No. Yeah. I'm like, listen, Bill, my, my poor gay baby. Oh. I would have killed to see that intro. That went so hard. Oh, my God. Oh, no. That would have been incredible, but no. <laughs> oh, God. Salt in the gaping wound is what that is. <laughs> and, oh, my yeah. gosh. And, like, that, like, coupled with all of the, you know, the prior couple of episodes, just Capaldi getting that big old, like, gigantic like comic book feeling send-off of him and it all coming down to like be kind like that's there's a thesis statement it's like wrap that up oh, yeah. it's ready to go he's done 
and that leading into Jody and everything that she did with that character, like it's it's an incredible episode. It is an incredible episode and a wonderful Christmas special. Which is why for my number three, I'm following it up with another Capaldi Christmas special, that being the Husbands of River Song. I love this episode. I'm going to let you know I changed this spot three times. <laughs> because the more that we've been talking about it, the more I keep going through and changing my list. Eric, don't you realize by now with Doctor Who, numbers don't mean anything. They don't matter. I, Husbands of Rivers. So let me just kick it, kids. Let's wax poetic on River Song for a second. River Song is one of the greatest characters in the entire show. Mm -hmm. I recognize that people have problems with that character. I understand. Plot holes make it so that that character probably shouldn't exist. However, <laughs> and it's not just because I met Alex Kingston at that Comic-Con that we were talking about. We got a picture in costume with her. What? Oh, what a oh wonderful day that was. Um, River Song is one of the best ideas and concepts that they introduced into Doctor Who. This character who is just like the Doctor, but on a reverse track. Meeting her, because this spot was originally silence in the library. Meeting her and, be, and her for once, for the first time maybe in the doctor's entire like timelines existence not knowing who this person is and knowing and them knowing intimate details about him including his name and he's like i don't just give out that information mm -hmm. and she's like you did to me pal see you in the future kiddo <laughs> and that kind of cascading into everything that she does with the 11th doctor and us establishing like, oh, yeah, that's her doctor, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And all of like the reverse stuff that went through there. I mean, the conversation that they have in A Good Man Goes to War, where she dresses him down about like, you're a warmonger, my dude. Like, there's a reason everybody's afraid of you. And that kind of sobering moment for him all the way up until like, we get that full circle moment. We see her for the last time with an asterisk during name of the doctor where she's just like the computer program and they have that goodbye. Goodbye, sweetie. And then we get this. Mm -hmm. Capaldi meeting River Song. And it being revealed that this is her doctor. And that's why Tennant looks so young to her. And like mm -hmm. them going through this entire adventure and, she, and her not knowing that it's the doctor. One of my favorite scenes, not just of Capaldi, not just of New Who, of all of Doctor Who, mm -hmm. is finally, it's my go. <laughs> <laughs> he goes into the TARDIS and he's like, oh my, my God! God! My entire concept of perception of reality has forever been changed. <laughs> Just hand me up. 
because he has the opportunity. It's mm -hmm. Capaldi firing on all cylinders, Kingston giving it right back to him. It's mm -hmm. one of the most delightful watches I've ever had in a Doctor Who episode. It's tremendous. It's that was going to be my pick for Capaldi. It's just an episode that has such an emotional weight to it and adds emotional weight to everything that's come before. It's the perfect capstone for River's time. <sighs> who's she she's my favorite side character in all of Doctor Who. I Excellent adore choice. her with every fiber of my being. And this is just an episode that is relentlessly brutally fun. It just is not afraid to to be so so silly and it's just what capaldi needed after the absolute heart wrench at the end of the last season and just just having this moment where he gets to be on the offs for the entire episode is so so wonderful i will never forget that speech that river gives to him or gives to gives in his presence i guess in that oh. that restaurant you can't expect a sunset to admire you back. Oh, he would never be foolish enough, and he's certainly not in love enough to be standing in it with me. And that moment, that instant click of realization. Look over, and Capaldi's shit-eating grin, and he's just like, "Hello, sweetie." And she's like, "I am going to kill you." We're so doing those roots. Oh, the roots of the sunset. <laughs> so good. Oh, but what what a what an incredible like uh what's even the word? I feel like an emotional climax doesn't do this experience justice <laughs> because I mean like like I said before Moffat's whole deal is 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 envisioning this as a fairy tale and to me this feels like the perfect cathartic fairy tale end to yeah. river's entire deal thank you so much for putting this chronologically in because i like i never put it together i watch all of the christmas specials in a vacuum i had no idea this was like his stepping stone from nine to ten because yeah. suddenly everything makes sense uh there's that incredible bit where she realizes oh this is our last day together and then you get the, the gut reveal. punch where she goes how long did days last on this and he says something like 25 years yeah i i cried same oh and then and then the, the next time you see river on this show she's in uh, a picture frame on his desk next to susan and i cried again oh <laughs> oh so good yeah it's it is a beautiful story where it's like you also kind of get to see how river acts when the doctor isn't around or at least mm -hmm. when she perceives he's not around and she's terrible she is she is a menace to everyone especially to society and it's one of those things where you get to see her kind of unfiltered because she's always kind of putting on a show for the doctor whenever he's around mm -hmm. and so to see her to being like brutal and being like just this swashbuckling character 
toting around this old man who just happens to be also here for some reason. Like, I love their dynamic. I love that, like you said, that fairy tale ending. The whole, like, and they lived happily ever after writing mm -hmm. on the screen. It's like, this is as good an ending that you can get for that character. And it's, yeah. Oh, my God. I love it so much. And it's oh. another Christmas episode. I love my Christmas episode. I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite The Christmas holiday. episodes are so good. They're always so good. Yes. Um, Just my my last quick ramble about this episode. I, I love so much Um, when they, they finally reveal their identities to each other and they start rattling off the names of all the people that they've been <laughs> smooching on the side. And they get to... um. Cleopatra and the doctor says same thing. Like I love they both think smooching Cleopatra. <laughs> oh, Two God. disaster bisexuals. <laughs> Two disaster bisexuals for sure. I I love that freaking episode so much. Uh so Anne, now that I've taken your pick, what do you 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 got? Well, we have moved on to the eleventh doctor, and I'm um you know, I kind of played Koi for the first two. I picked some offbeats. I'm not playing Koi for the 11th. My favorite 11th Doctor episode is and always has been A Good Man Goes to War. Yes! Mm. Speaking it of is, River! It's it's a special Doctor Who episode because I think it's the first one since New Who started that doesn't follow the traditional Monster of the Week storyline, like, plot arc, where it is the Doctor on the hunt. And he's going through time and space collecting all of his allies for one big final fight. And you have this really great epic moment where the doctor manages to win the to save the day without spilling a single drop of blood. And then it all gets turned on its head. This is an episode of so many original and cl really clever and colorful characters. This is the um what's what's the name of the gang? The um they they have like an actual name. It's um, Madame Bastra, Jenny, and um, Strax. Strax. Oh, the um, like, oh, that's the things like the, a P or something. Uh, the Potter Nest Gang. It, that's yes. not it, but yeah. it's like something. It's something something like that, that sounds like that. Hmm. And they they became such iconic characters that they they just kept coming back and back. And I hope that one day we'll see them again because I love them so much. Same. And it's the the dramatic reveal of who River Song is. And I don't, I don't care what plot holes you think are out there. I'm not watching any of your silly YouTube videos. Doctor Who is <laughs> all plot holes. It's all he he's rewriting the timeline all the time. There's no such thing as canon in the Doctor Who universe. We've seen 80 different versions of Earth's future. Um, so That's the Paternoster gang. Paternoster. Ah, makes sense. I love Look them so up. much. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> favorite gays um They're the incredible. gays and their one straight friend i i love them so much hey, hey, hey don't don't assume anything about strax I won't you don't know him anything about strax um he's he is he I, is a fluid potato yeah no, he can <laughs> literally he can produce massive quantities of lactic fluid um <laughs> that's so true i forgot I blocked that out of my memory. How dare you? He was so proud of that. <laughs> so proud. A Santaran nurse. Yes. And that is one of my other moments of, of genuine surprise I've been able to have in Doctor Who. Um, there's There's been the three that really stick out to me. It was River Song. It was um, the arrival of the first Doctor. And the third one, which we'll get to in a little bit. But mm. 
a good man goes to war is just everything that I wanted. It's such a, a cleverly written episode with great characters, great action, wonderful emotional beats, and more more turns than you can possibly hope or want for. It's an it's an episode that I always love to hear people's reactions on when they get there, or better yet, be in the room when they watch it for the first time. It is just a magical experience. The opening of that episode is mm -hmm. still seared into my brain. Just Rory yes. walking out full centurion, like, I have a question from me and a message from the doctor. I just, they're like, what is the message? And the ship's just blowing up in the back. And he's like, would you like me to repeat the question? I'm like, they are going <laughs> to war. They ride. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it is one of the most hype intros to a Doctor Who episode in the entire franchise. It is it's, incredible. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing because it's the one time we don't see the Doctor in the back foot. Because so many times the Doctor is the one trying to catch up to the situation. We've been like, okay, we're going to land in X place. We're going to figure out something's not right. I have to figure out what's wrong. And I have to deduce this myself and catch up by the end. But this yeah. is the one time the Doctor's like, I have a plan. We're going to end this. I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what to do. And that's uh, seeing a moment like that at the beginning where he's just like, the the Cybermen are nothing. Because he was ready. he went looking for them. So he knows exactly what he's doing. And that puts him into such a scary place, which is so thematically important for the what they talk about at the end of this episode between him and River. We we talked about earlier about just how the Doctor has changed so much as he's existed. And I love the idea of the Doctor becoming like a legend because it's it's so true. He's done so much. They've been so many different things, so many different places that it makes so much sense that there would be entire legends out there about him and religions dedicated to him whether it's in favor of him or to his destruction yeah it's a wonderful episode it's it, it's so freaking good and it's it's one of those episodes that you kind of get that peek behind the curtain for matt smith oh doctor. yeah because like i love when he kind of loses it because um, there's like there's all this whimsy about him he's this weird strange alien old man trapped in a 25 year old's body but like the moment where he's like you know you come after the people that i love that he stops and he's like "Ooh, oh i'm angry i haven't done that before oh i don't know what's gonna happen next i'm like ah that's psychopath behavior Ooh." <laughs> Uh, another great example of that is when River shows up at the end and he just whips around and he goes, where were you? Yeah. Oh. I love like, so, I mean, you can say what you will about Moffat, but the guy loves poking at all of like the tropes and stories that the show is amassed so far. Like yeah. he knows how to sort of, puppeteer everything in an interesting way and uh it's so cool to see him line something up like that even if uh the ending comes out of nowhere and if bit. he i mean like i do think that's the whole point of his stuff though because he's all about like seeing everything through a magical lens yeah that's and I, fair. I yeah you think like it it changes whenever you you go in mm -hmm. looking at that it becomes comes more i guess it becomes more magical that way 
also giving us kind of one of the best companions that never were in Lorna Bucket. I I wanted so much for that character, man. I was like, Asian companion! Asian companion, please! And like her being like, oh, I joined this army because I'm really like, I'm obsessed with the, you know, that warrior, the doctor. Mm-hmm. And like finding out about, like, what a fascinating perspective for a character to have. It's like, I am fascinated by this eater of worlds the doctor and i want to know more about him and like it's so cool and i it it sucks that she dies but like Mm -hmm. it again gives us what we were talking about where it's all these multiple facets of the doctor and what he can represent to different people and what the doctor as like an entity as an idea can mean to different cultures and different factions it's it's such a it's such a so good, good. All right, Doug, what you got? Now, uh, I guess before I do this, I have a question. Can we count two parters on this? Yes, I okay. think so. Perfect. Then with that, uh, <laughs> my next episode or episodes, uh, that's easily one of my faves, two-parter, Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords. <sighs> I'm going to start things off by saying I am a huge Martha Jones fan. Yeah. I love Freema Ajiman, everything she brings to that role. And this is her moment to shine. Uh, But on top of that, there's so much more going on. This is the first time we see the master. And not only that, but this is like the, the first time he is really elevated to well, not not the first time, but like the first time on TV, he is elevated to like super villain proportions. Yeah, he isn't just like a nemesis; he is the anti doctor in mm-hmm. sort of like every way imaginable. I know, Eric, you you mentioned at the top of this, you are a huge fan of post war stories. I think this might be one of the best examples of that because the master is like the ultimate warmonger in this he literally utters the phrase i can turn this planet into a warship and i mean like that that is the rosetta stone for realizing what davies has been talking about since he began like the doctor has been running from his part in a war this whole time and the master is that war made life um and Ooh, it, like i, I mean just now oh i God. know like beyond that <laughs> you just you see everything go about as wrong as it can go you see jack basically like locked up and tortured killed over and over again you see um you see like giant statues of john sim just erected mm-hmm. around the world because he can <laughs> literally just fields of missiles uh it's like the ending of oppenheimer yeah and uh and the fact that again bringing it back to uh to comics and to grant morrison the fact that all of this is resolved by uh by everyone believing in peace believing that there is a better way is just such a such a perfect note to end on and such an amazing note to to give to martha's character the fact that this is like the end of her arc 
realizing that she is just as much of a messiah as the doctor is uh so incredible and also kind of like i mean part of her arc is being this person who's pining after someone who's pining after somebody else yeah and like her at the end being like no like i'm good enough on my own like i don't need to be chasing Mm -hmm. after this guy like i'm fucking awesome i'm gonna go be awesome and like that being the end of her character and you say it's a two-parter i would almost go as far to say it's a three-parter because that utopia episode is astounding Mm -hmm. and getting that just a glimpse of derek jacoby as the master Mm -hmm. before he regenerates chef's kiss like that is absolutely and i'm so glad that they did some audio dramas with him as the master but like Mm -hmm. and then watching this like kind of what we're used to seeing with the master as like a character kind of devolve into just this like terrifying little gremlin of a man like <laughs> john tubbies just yes! left. <laughs> john sims master is one of my fa- it might be my favorite incarnation of that character because he is mm-hmm. just this terrifying little imp who is like i just want to ruin everything because i can like he goes after the the chemistry that him and david tennant have is electric and the the ending of it where where ten is like just regenerate dude regenerate. you have that ability i i don't and the subtext being like i don't want to be alone like i yeah. thought i was alone mm-hmm. and now i have you and the master's like oh well in that case <laughs> he leans in real close and goes hey i win <laughs> and just dies I mean, out yeah, of fuck you <laughs> goodbye fuck you buddy and then he dies and he's just oh he's the ultimate hater he is mm-hmm. he is he is right up there with the Thawne and black manta in mm-hmm. prime hater energy mm-hmm. like it's it's incredible and i mean they they get that little rave moment with here comes the drums like him dancing oh in his little sky palace <laughs> It's incredible. It's, it's it's a whirlwind of a performance. Oh yeah, it's 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 so wonderful. It's it's so bleak too because it is the the highest stakes that a Doctor Who episode hits uh, when after New Who. It's just yeah. you you've never seen it before where it's like the bad guy wins and the Doctor mm-hmm. has failed, and getting to see Martha on her own when she spent the entire season kind of pining after this guy. It's the second time she's had to to make up for this man and to kind of babysit him. Cause the first time is the family of blood where she's like, okay, I guess I can just exist here in early racist times and just be chill. <laughs> and now this she's like, I, okay, I guess I can walk the world and tell everyone to, you know, worship your name. I guess I can do that. That's fine. <laughs> no problem. Then to realize like, you know what? I don't think I'm getting out of this way. He's getting out of this. So I'm gone. <laughs> But yeah, no just more that. free labor, Bucko. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm unionizing with over. all the other companions. <laughs> and she she hooks up with Mickey later. And she's like, oh. I don't feel like the doctor just kind of uses you, and he's like all the time <laughs> with the <two> dogs <laughs> all the time. It's so funny too because thinking about it in doctor terms, would you say that's the end of her internship phase? Yeah, <laughs> where she becomes yeah. an actual doctor. Yeah. 
that's that's the end of her residency and now she's yeah, going yeah. off to start her own practice i yeah i that that is a wonderful pick i i love those episodes and again that also brought us you know captain jack back to mm-hmm. this and i love how catty they are at the beginning of <laughs> utopia he's like mm-hmm. you left me and tenon's just like oh did i oh that <laughs> happens and i'm like that, oh my god that in the back and forth too that he has with martha he's like oh i guess he ne- he doesn't forget about you if you're blonde and she goes oh of course she's blonde. <laughs> <laughs> See, give give me an entire season of just Jack and Martha going off mm. and doing stuff. Like, oh yeah, there 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 is one thing that you can always trust in, and that is Captain Jack bringing in good times. Like, I loved when he popped up with Jody just 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 for a moment. You didn't even really thought... get. I but... thought Graham was the doctor at first. Well, of course, <laughs> he's only dealt with specific types of doctors. And they've all been white men. Mm-hmm. So he's his like, this has got to be the one. He, his excitement when he finds out, I'm like, girl, same. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so oh. we are we are heading into the home stretch here. And at, at my number two, this is an episode that I I have... There, there was a Eric before this episode, and there was an Eric after this episode. And... It's what really cemented the ninth doctor for me as a character. It's Dalek. Mm -hmm. The reintroduction of Daleks into the franchise is done as good as it could possibly have been done. Um, We see the doctor and Rose brought to this facility where they have captured something. And they're holding it and they're like, we want you to check this thing out because it's fucking weird. (laughs) And the doctor's like, yeah, I love fucking weird shit. And so vault opens, closes behind him. And you just you just hear him go like, hey, like I'm the doctor. How can I help you? And then you just hear doctor. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you know, like I had no concept for this. So this was a first time person having not watched any, you know, classic who or anything. I didn't know what a Dalek was, but the way that Eccleston sells the terror of just one of these things changed my whole, like it rewired my brain when it came to this Mm -hmm. character because he's been stoic. He's been funny. He's been witty. He's been sassy as hell. And then we get to see him terrified. We get to see him traumatized. And then, you know, the immediate switch when he realizes, oh, it's chained up. He can't do anything. And he starts to gloat a little bit. He starts, you know, puffing his chest out. And that moment where he's like, I wiped out your entire race. And he's like, no, that couldn't have happened. He's like, it did happen. I saw it happen. I made it happen. Like him getting into him. And you can tell how much this affects him. It's a beautiful character piece on the Ninth Doctor. And then this thing gets loose and starts wiping out everybody. Mm-hmm. One of, again, in, in an entire episode of Moments That Rewired My Brain, the Dalek gets to the bottom of the stairs and they're like, we got this, guys. 
we got this. And those of you who were informed were like, dogs can't make it upstairs. They don't know how to handle that shit. And then it just goes, elevate. And it just starts lifting off the ground and floating. I'm like, it's over. We're all dead. This thing can go upstairs now. Like, it's it's done. Like, Are you saying they fly now? They fly, they fly now. now. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you, Poe? Uh, yeah, it was, it's terrifying. And then at the end, when, you know, the doctors got the gun and Rose is like, I, this is done. He's, he's a survivor like you. And he's, he's like telling her to get out of the way. He's just like, I just, I didn't. And you can see how broken he is. Like, this is the episode that shows you how broken this man is after an entire war and having to make the choice to more or less wipe out two entire races of people. Big asterisk there. And it's just an incredible character piece for that character. It's my favorite right up there with um, uh, the Dr. Dances. Like, it's it's an incredible, incredible episode. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you... You say this is a character piece for the doctor. I also think it's a very good character piece for the Daleks because absolutely, it's so interesting. We we often see them as this big monolithic force. Like we only get one. Uh, they're they're primarily defined through one word, which is exterminate. You know, they are yeah. they are the ultimate fascist force in the universe. But we like, it's strange, and it's something that I see a lot of across Davies run is he kind of goes out of his way to humanize the Daleks. And I, I think this goes back to the idea that like, we have been on the other side of this now, again, like this is a post-war fiction, but I think your, your perspective on, uh, on like, you know, villains changes after you have kind of lived on the periphery of that. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how the doctor becomes this menacing. Like we see the doctor literally through the Daleks POV and yeah. how terrifying he is. And I think that does a lot of work in kind of like showing how much like them he's become. He's become their <sighs> boogeyman. It would make a good Dalek. Oh my God. Oh. That line kills me. Because, um, like, Davy's whole thing is, um, even if a war can be fought for the right reasons, the longer it goes on, the more it takes out of everybody involved. So the idea mm -hmm. that the doctor has become this mass murderer on par with his worst enemy is something that, like, you can just sit with for days. I love that. It was it was the episode for me when the show clicked because I think that was the moment where I felt the emotion really set in and you really see all the pain and the scars of this character bared on his flesh and you're like there is something really special here and it's also like I was talking when I when I first started this um podcast about how doctor who is just like something i absorbed through cultural osmosis it's like you absorb the show but you also absorb who the daleks are everyone whether you know it or not you have some inkling of who the daleks are they're an iconic design they're an iconic villain and i 
can't think of a better way that they could have possibly been introduced. And it's so great because it sets up the season finale so well. Because if one of them can do that, and then you get to the end where there's a whole fleet of them, and you feel that pressure so, so hard. And you're like, this is this is really the highest stakes that you could possibly imagine. And season one was probably the best the Daleks were ever used. It was incredible. Hard agree. Hard agree. Like you you kind of you go from this into the, you know, the Power Ranger Daleks where they're all different colors. (laughs) And it's like we've lost the plot here, gang. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. what what are we doing with this? I love how Davies utilizes the Daleks. I love how threatening they are and how they're you i mean for god's sake when we get that um that potential like dalek cyberman war i'm like we're all done like this is dusted like we're there's nothing left to you know to go here it's it's fascinating how the perception of those you know those classic who enemies you know grows and changes and evolves over time and the daleks are mm-hmm. a prime example of that for sure oh yeah all right Anne. next up okay so we're at the 12th doctor and as we discussed this is my favorite doctor i could pick just about any episode and have a blast with this one except for the one that's a very very thinly veiled um pro-life argument that one we don't need to talk about but um i think the one i want to talk about because we already spent a little bit of time hinting at heaven sent earlier and although it's a masterpiece of an episode i want to talk about peter capaldi's finale the two-parter um in season 10 that is sorry pulling up the title that i definitely wrote down months ago (laughs) world enough in time and the doctor falls because it is the reintroduction of the classic Cybermen, the Mundo, the Mondozian Cybermen in all their campy glory. And one of the coolest setups I've seen for any Doctor Who setting ever. A ship trapped above a black hole where time is moving faster at the bottom than it is at the top. And it is a roller coaster and a half. It is also the most angry i've been i i was ever at the bbc during that episode for how because how dare they how dare they spoil john sims return in every single ad for that season <sighs> how fucking dare they how dare they steal that would have been that? an incredible reveal it was the best it would have been the best reveal the show had ever had had the bbc not shot themselves in the foot by not having enough faith in the rest of the season to sell it. It was, it was a disaster. It was just a marketing disaster, but I'm so jealous of everyone who got to go into that episode unspoiled and have that revealed. I classic master master disguise, which we hadn't seen in new who and (laughs) Sims return is just peak It is just so, so peak. His relationship with tenant is unparalleled, but Having a two master story, just saying that should send shivers down any Doctor Who multi, fans' spine. Multi master story, like, ugh. is that the first time we ever got a story like that? I feel like I'm I'm yeah. racking my brain. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
because we've had multi-doctor stories for for forever and you know i love that new who has been the master saying time and time again well if the doctor can do this then so can i yep and being like if the doctor can team up then so will i and it has all the awkward sexual tension you would imagine it would (laughs) and it's exactly the kind of dynamic i'd imagine the master would have absolutely (laughs) it made all the sense in the world (laughs) is is it wrong that i'm yes definitely (laughs) (laughs) i also do love though that like the updates to sims master to make him kind of a dark reflection of capaldi where Mm -hmm. he's got the gray hair he's got the you know the midnight blue with a little you know flash of red in the costume Mm -hmm. and then they gave him the classic goatee he's got the goat oh my gosh he's he's so terrifying because Compared to like the gremlin he was with Tenet, he is so much more reserved here than he ever yeah. was before. He's cunning, he's manipulative, and he's patient. Yeah. He's patient enough to play Bill for decades. And just everything, the the fact that he made the Cybermen happen, he's like, listen, the doctor made the Daleks happen. The best I can do is make the second best thing happen. Oof. Um So... <laughs> He's, I, I think it's 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 incredible. And I know the Mondosian Cybermen was such a big and important part of Peter Capaldi's love for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So to have them be his final villain, that meant a lot as well. It's, it's just such a, a wonderful episode of a it's it's always hard to balance when you're gonna kill a companion, especially a companion who's both a woman of color and queer. And I love Bill's send-off. She gets one of the more tragic endings but i and you know the way it finally does end for her her happy ending is definitely a bit of a ex machina but you know what i'm perfectly okay with it i am a thousand percent okay with it she deserved it i deserved it we all deserved it um (laughs) and the doctor's speech to the two masters to to try to get that last plea for missy i think the biggest failure of season 10 for me is the fact that the missy plot line didn't play out the entire season through like it's they spend more time hinting at it than i think they should have i would have loved to have seen a much more gradual character development for missy's master I like because this is a character agree. yeah yeah this is a character that's been around for so long and if you want to do something as bold as to try to finally have the doctor get his victory for her to to make the master someone who gets it someone who's on his side because she's always trying to get him to come to her level for but sure. for him to get her on his it's so so special and even though it wasn't what i wanted it to be that season i think the episode still does a wonderful job because the doctor's final speech about doing good because it's right no witness no reward and then for that to be exactly what missy does by shooting herself in the back and then in turn also being shot in the back to left alone to die with the doctor forever unaware that he saved her that he helped her no witness no reward the perfect ending for the master story and it's why until anyone confirms to me that they are actually that stupid it's why i just assume that every master from now on out happens before missy because you do not see yeah 
You do not see John Sims regenerate. So I'm guessing every master we see from now until the end of time happens before that. I will accept no other ending for the master than that. There is a distinct sharing of gremlin energy between John Sims' master and Sasha Dewan's oh, yeah. master. So I am 100% into that idea. Yeah. And I I absolutely agree on the Missy point because like I love her in this in these mm -hmm. two episodes. The way she swaggers off at the beginning, she's like, I'm the doctor. Like, it's like, okay, yeah. this is a test run. <laughs> it's like th this is the test run. Maybe she can do this. And then to watch her just stumble and fall. And when fucking Capaldi during that scene is just like stop and the two of them are walking and she stops for a second and then she's like no 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 and she likes goes with uh with sim's master like mm -hmm. you see the effect that they have on each other and how mm -hmm. desperately they are in love both platonically and romantically <laughs> like i want nothing more for them i yeah i i adore her across the entire tenure of uh, of Capaldi's run, but especially during moments like this where you can see how she's changed. Oh, yeah. And there's no better temptation than the devil himself. Yeah. And having John Sims be the devil on Missy's shoulder is so great. The little bit of time that Missy does cave in and gets to just play villain with him is so delectable. Yeah. It is so wonderful to see. I would I would pay so much money to get just those two together for a full episode. I mean, there would have been bit, spectacular. I was gonna say there's a there's a big finish with all the masters getting together. Oh, there's a big finish of oh, everything. I didn't know I just that. It. Yeah. Uh, I, I also. You... Sorry. Sorry. I, I was gonna say, off. have either of you um, indulged? Have you have you listened to any big finish stories or Oh yeah most of my eighth doctor is exclusively big finish experience like Really okay I I'm a big fan of dark eyes like I I love that era for McGann where he's wearing the the blue leather coat he has my favorite screwdriver design Mhm mm that is like most of my eighth doctor knowledge is from big finish i love his stuff and i'm i've been waiting because i've been nervous to dive into the new ninth doctor stuff because i'm like i have such an attachment to him mm -hmm. and it's been so long what if it's not like i remember but i've got it lined up for me that's Good. that's definitely the next ones that i'm diving into so I just need to check because I definitely need some recommendations on where to start. I would say just all the Eighth Doctor stuff. Like, McGann is tremendous. All oh, yeah. Listener, look, I know you're casual. <laughs> Listener, I know you're casual to Doctor Who, and I know the only McGann stuff you have is from, admittedly, an incredible little special called Night of the Doctor, but also, <laughs> like, him popping up randomly, having one of the best moments in that Jodie Whittaker episode where he's just like, I don't want to wear a robe. <laughs> I like my clothes. I want to wear my clothes. McGann's journey during the opening of the, the time war, going from this romantic like, ah, we're having a great time to, oh my God, war never changes. <laughs> like, 
He's an anime protagonist. He is an anime protagonist. He is he is the Aaron Yeager of Doctor Who. He has been through it. And he will continue to go through it all the way up to the end. So if you'd like to watch the Eighth Doctor Battle Titans, go to Big Finish. Or I guess listen. Get back into the TARDIS McGann or Missy's gonna have to. <laughs> Uh, are you uh are have you listened to any big finish doug i i wish i had the time for it i watched the um the war doctor specials with um with jacoby just because i wanted that closed but i want to get to more of it in the future and i mean you know timeline wise that that about lines up so mm. it's it's good stuff would recommend mm-hmm all right so that is doug next yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think so and this is these are our number twos right yes. correct okay perfect uh so again this is in no particular order i like all of these equally for different reasons so um something i've i've really come around to lately is just because i've been doing a deep dive into all doctor who media and that means watching all the new stuff, including the Chibnall era. Um, I've had a bit of a, like a renaissance on this where I get that like, you know, like any season, it's not perfect, but uh, whenever it hits, it really hits. And uh, that brings me to my number two choice. I think the woman who fell to earth is one of the strongest entries for a season of Doctor Who you can possibly get. Uh, for one, I love the slow build. I love the fact that we start with a companion, very much like uh, Rose, but it's with Ryan. We get a very intimate story that sadly isn't really touched on for the nope. rest of his time. Uh, we, we sort of get all of the players coming in, we get the hints at like a family dynamic that isn't really explored. Something is missing. And then we get our chaotic elements. Jodie Whittaker literally falls into the story <laughs> and takes us on a journey. And I mean, from the jump, this sold me on Chibnall's era. I think it's him playing to all of his strengths. Uh, fun fact about chris chibnall he is a big crime fiction writer broadchurch mm -hmm. is amazing uh and you can see a lot of that in the setup for this uh the doctor and her her band are literally tracking down like an alien serial killer and from there we kind of see whitaker sort of patchwork her new personality together realizing like well i don't really know who i am yet but i know what i like and i know what i think is right and from there we just see her kind of inspire people by feeling and what i love is that even though it's not a lot of like defining moments for this doctor we kind of see her impact on these companions before we even really know their relationship and the fact that um the fact that like the through line is ryan's mom realizing oh yeah like we have to do something because even though this is dangerous because anything could happen we have to help somebody 
And there's um there's another great moment too where they're uh trying to save that guy on the crane. And um, he keeps repeating to himself, I am special. I am loved. And that's the whole point of this episode. The fact that any person out there can make a difference. And the fact that like the Whitaker is sort of this catalyst for all of these people to realize, oh, yeah, I can go on this journey and make a difference is, is such a great jumping on point for this character, for this series and uh and for this whole vibe that uh they're kicking off Mm -hmm. i have gone on the record many times saying that i like jody's era but i wish that she had gotten so much more because i feel like she deserved a lot i think the biggest tragedy of jody's era is i can't point to you her her zygon speech her um rings of akatan speech i can't point to you jody's big moment but i will say that that first episode gave me such strong hope it was what i hoped for is what i expected and it made me so happy i couldn't remember the last time i'd been that excited to watch an episode of doctor who like i said earlier jody as the doctor meant everything to me and getting to see her come to terms with who she is now is always so in Deering. the that that is the best way i can describe jody's doctor she is eternally endearing i don't see a way that people can hate this character she's just so lovely and warm and it's the first time the doctor's gotten to be that since new who started she is one completely without the the trauma of the time war and without the trauma of trying to find Gallifrey, she's like got it all together until she doesn't. But even then (laughs) she's the, she's the first character to approach it with a sense of just pure optimism and joy. She has such a unique view of the world. And I think a lot of that has to do with the companions she picks. I love Graham. I love, listen, I love Graham so fucking much. Graham is amazing. He is the best. Um, Ryan is also wonderful and Yaz is there for two seasons but then she becomes wonderful during flux <laughs> oh my um, god so true but i like yes what are you I, talking I, I about yes but like they started to recognize halfway through they're like oh wait she can be the new martha jones and we can start mm-hmm. treating her like that yeah and like yeah i i love how much more she gets to do once Ryan and Graham leave for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but it's like, it, it's one of my favorite doctor introduction episodes. I, I look, I love tenets, but I do like that. Um, <laughs> Whitaker got a bit more to do in this one than just sleeping for most of the episode. <laughs> oh, so, so true. Love, you know, fighting Christmas trees is very exciting. <laughs> very exhausting work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I remember when this episode first dropped and immediately kind of the the production value change. Oh yeah. Where I was like, "Oh my god, they're yeah. cinematic." <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a lens flare. Like this is incredible. This is widescreen now. That episode does a great job in getting you hyped for this era. Mm-hmm. And though like it doesn't always, you know, doesn't always reach those highs like it really does give you hope for like no this is in good hands we've got good people at the wheel we've got a great team and they're going to 
knock this out of the park. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of parks, my number one is the Rosa Parks episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and El Raza. <laughs> Sometimes Malcolm will just bring, will just start humming that, and then I just lose my shit. Every oh, I did time. that exclusively for Malcolm. If he is listening <laughs> to this, oh my God. Malcolm, that was that was for you, brother. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, not all those episodes hit. I will yeah. say, I think if this had been like a top top 15 i probably would have included like spyfall because i think that two-parter is such a great season starter and a great introduction but i i it's it's too bad that none of us are going to talk about it so we'll just have to leave that leave that on the table too bad but um no, I I do really love Jody, and I'm glad that for for all the all the bumps in the road that we had, that Jody was a doctor and was the doctor for years. Yeah, through one of the most difficult parts of human history, <laughs> he was there. She was the doctor. Um, my number one. It's I've gone back on this so many times. Um, but this is an episode that spoke to me and this is an episode that i will forever carry with me from the first time i viewed this heaven sent we've talked about it we've mentioned it we keep bringing it up for a reason it is one of the greatest hours of television i've ever watched and not just because ah cool science fiction Or like, ah, cool, this weird like fantasy, we don't really know what's going on. It is an episode almost totally about grief and how you handle grief. This is the episode that immediately comes after Face the Raven. Uh, Clara Oswald, who is everyone's favorite companion and no one's ever had a problem with Clara as a companion ever. Uh... After she dies. We choose to remain silent. <laughs> and we we hadn't had like a companion death in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And a companion like literally dying. And, the, and then, you know, they walk that back. But like having that and watching Capaldi process this alongside the mystery of like, why is he in this castle? Why are their clothes already here? How long has he been here? And then getting the reveal like, oh, this starts over for him again and again and again. And mm-hmm. oh, hey, all those skulls under the water are yours, my guy. Like, it's a fascinating and terrifying episode, but it's not just terrifying because of this creature that is stalking him. It's grief. It's the terrifying idea of having to move on of having to accept loss and 
just as much as I am a sucker for post-war stories, I will always turn up for stories about loss and stories about how to deal with loss. There's something just fascinating about that to me. Stories like that always resonate really well with me. And this episode was the defining as much as we had had like maybe six or seven defining moments for Capaldi up to this point. This mm-hmm. was the episode that I'm like, I don't know who the next doctor is going to be, but they're going to have to follow this and it's not going to be fun for them. And yeah, it's, it's one of those episodes that you think about for days mm-hmm. after watching it and i still like this is i think one of a couple episodes of capaldi's that i've watched at least you know 10 times like mm-hmm. it is one of those like it hits so hard and it's like i know it's the I listener i know it's a fucking easy choice everybody talks about this episode but like that episode also hit me at a very specific time and when sometimes when the the stars align and it's like you get a piece of media exactly when you need it mm-hmm. it it creates magic so that episode is forever on my mount rushmore Un- undoubtedly it's it's one of those viewing experiences with doctor who that you can't get for the first time again you know yeah going through that is such an experience it's such a surreal experience but it's beautiful and the i've never like had more awe for the doctor as a character than i did with this story i thought it was so creative so cleverly written and executed and if peter capaldi wasn't my favorite before which i'm pretty sure he definitely was by this point he would have been forever after this it's just a, a miracle of direction and screenwriting and um performance everything came together to make this the perfect doctor who episode you don't it takes such incredible skill to make a one-man show work and like i said earlier in the episode i couldn't imagine anyone else doing this but peter capaldi yeah i guess expanding on that too i can't stop thinking about just the the theme and how much latitude Moffat has to work inside of that because Eric like you said the whole thing is built around grief and it only hits harder uh the the deeper you get into this episode the way it builds the fact that the metaphor is him punching his way through a diamond mountain uh little by little and then the the real uh punch in the gut is when you find out uh where this is the the origin behind this is it's his Mm -hmm. own reward that he has built for himself it's his own prison because of course that's what grief is i'm gonna cry and of course like and of course again building on like the larger mythology of the show people the worst people find a way to weaponize that and exploit him with it and uh it's it's such a versatile story that like keeps i keep finding a new layer to pick away at every time i watch it Mm -hmm. and 
I, it's funny that um, like nowadays people kind of look at the Moffat era with rose tinted glasses as if it was like always there. And I'm not yeah. going to say like it was bad, but I, you can really see in evolution in the way he writes. And I, I would argue this is like the peak of his, his writing ability on doctor who, I think this is the best he gets. Mm -hmm. And um, just seeing ways he can build and iterate on that makes me excited any for any project i see him on uh and um it it makes me want to revisit this over and over again mm -hmm. hey doug i have a question for you yeah how many seconds are in eternity <laughs> well let me tell you about this bird uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember the whole speech oh god and and with that like that framing of a joke mm -hmm. being what like gets him through like coping mechanisms and mm -hmm. using humor mm -hmm. it's like uh yeah it is an incredible piece of fiction that i'm probably gonna go watch as soon as we finish recording here heck yeah <laughs> i'm obsessed uh and give us give us your number one pick it's 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 oh, it's time it's time for the number one pick and by the number one pick i mean the number 13 pick we are oh. on the 13th doctor and yes technically i you know screwed up a little bit we forgot the war doctor and um our fugitive doctor but just know they exist both of them exist that's um yep they sure do read engines of war if you hadn't by the way if you want to know more about yes. the war doctor yes, yes. Okay. such a good Thank book you. Thank you. It it takes something really special for a Doctor Who novel to stick with me, and Engines of War is fucking beautiful. Same. Like, <laughs> I, oh my God, it's so good. I don't know where it is, but like, <laughs> I remember like right after the fifth came out, they're like, oh, and here's a novel. And I'm like, I don't read books all that often anymore without pictures and comic <laughs> panels. I am digging into this. There's a beautiful description in that book of what it looks like when a TARDIS dies, oh, when a TARDIS is killed. God. And it is just, it is the coolest depiction of a time war you will ever see. Um, but my pick for the 13th Doctor, who, I think the 13th Doctor is a lot of episodes there. I watched, I'm like, that was pretty good. But there's one episode I remember one two-parter i remember for being something that stuck with me after i saw it the first time and it pulled um the woman who lived on me and convinced me that this season was gonna be the one worth following gonna be the one worth watching and it was spyfall parts one and two. Oh, were we talking about that earlier i didn't remember um time is relative it's wibbly wobbly in fact you get jody whitaker in this espionage type story where she's trying to figure out who's taking out all these government officials who's behind all of this and she meets up with this special operative whose name is O. um and we find out at the end of the first episode that third true surprise that doctor who has given me 
that O has secretly been the master this whole time. And you get that wonderful shot. I didn't get it the first time when they're looking out the window and the house is flying along next to him. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then like, I'm pretty sure I was asleep that night, just like arms across my chest, staring at the ceiling. And then I sat up. It was just TARDIS. Goddamn TARDIS. <laughs> um, and you find out that O is the master and played by the incredible, um, Sasha um, Dawin, right? That was Dewan. his last name? Dewan. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. God, he, so to follow up um, both Gomez and Sims is a hell of a, an ask, but he does it so well. He does it incredibly. Here, um, throughout the season, in The Power of the Doctor, he is a force to be reckoned with, and I love him so much. And you really feel that you get one of the craziest master doctor matchups we've ever seen where he is just completely out for blood. And we find out that the doctor, hey, we just got Gallifrey back. And the master's like, fuck you. No, you didn't. I killed it. <laughs> I killed that special thing you love. And it sets up the, the you know, the mystery, the plot line of this um, season, which, you know, you can have your own mixed opinions on that. That's completely fine. It sets up the idea of the, the long... Um, the timeless child. I was like, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, <laughs> it sets up the timeless child reveal, and it sets up the reason that the master is absolutely pissed at the doctor. And you know, <laughs> you've always had this like give and take with the master and the doctor, but I feel like this is the first time you've had a relationship where the master is out for pure blood. This isn't mm. just a game to him anymore. He wants the doctor to to suffer and to know that she, he he's going to revel in her downfall and the discovery of who she actually is. And it's, it's such a sinister, sinister episode with a great twist and a really, really great um, climax. I had so much fun with it. A, one of the strongest season openers, I think Dr. Who's ever had. Enough said. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, also, uh, for anyone who wants more Sasha Dewan, uh, if you ever get the chance to watch uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, he yes. plays Waris Hussein, uh, who is, I think, the first director of Doctor Who, also yeah. incredible in that. He's oh, and everyone's favorite role of his and everyone's favorite show, Iron Fist. He was in Iron Fist? He was Davos. <laughs> You got Second me on that one. Deuteragonist yep. and antagonist of season two. That's right. I watched Iron Fist. It was a show. Happy it was for truly you. a show of all time. I'm glad you watched it so I didn't have to. <laughs> I watched it so everyone else didn't have to. I'm the Eric, only person who watched Iron Fist. Eric's just sitting through every episode with that uh bob odekirk from uh, i think you should leave energy he's gonna get better <laughs> he's gonna get better guys or that homer simpson like it's still good it's still good <sighs> but yeah th that reveal for sasha dewan is mm -hmm. so good because like when he was cast i was like awesome i love sasha dewan i'm so glad he's in this show i wish he was a bigger role instead of just this little fbi informant and then mm -hmm. the reveal just <laughs> elation i was like this is the greatest casting they've had i'm so excited and like 
I kind of love Loki how he has a lot of he's very 11th doctor coded mm-hmm. and that has always like informed like my idea of sims regenerating into him because it's 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 10th mm-hmm. doctor into his 11th doctor era and just the, the kind of the manic energy like this isn't the episode we're talking about but in power of the doctor when he does a full-blown rasputin dance number yes. like i'm like this hey, is the hey, only hey, way hey. that this works is with this master specifically a number that was apparently improvised by the way what he did that like day of shooting and he's just like can we work this in and they just went yeah <laughs> guys i'm a little weirdo can we please use this i just want to be a little freak on set <laughs> just want to be a dang ass freak for a second can we just oh film my this? gosh i love that so much uh i i love your your analogy that he is kind of aping 11 though because that that builds into this read that i have developed for the character that i think like i think fits into timeless child very well i've had this idea since i saw that special and since i saw power of the doctor that this version of the master is jealous of the idea that the doctor is basically untethered by history mm-hmm and because of that, his whole mission is like, I I can't just exist in the same realm as this person anymore. I need to, like, co-opt who they are. And uh, and in my mind, that's why he does, like, the whole Freaky Friday thing. That's why he tries to, like, kick over her sense of identity because he can't stand that someone out there has as much baggage as him and just decides, no, that's, that's not who I am. I'm going to be my mm-hmm. own thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love the rivalry that those two build, even if yeah. it isn't as explored as fully as I mm-hmm. wanted it to. Yeah. I mean, I love that idea. Cause this is the master finding out that him and the doctor actually aren't the same the doctor is so much more special than he is and it puts him in a place where he's like i'm going to actually explode i'm going to throw (laughs) up and vomit all over the place (laughs) and i'm going to i'm gonna have a melt i'm gonna have a meltdown i'm gonna make it everyone's problem so he blows up gallifrey (laughs) and then he's like listen i'm gonna fuck with you i'm gonna make tiny little toy people um because i'm i'm mad and then i'm going to make myself you because you can't be more special than me so if I, if you won't be as boring as I am, I have to become as special as you. So I, I love his arc throughout Jody's era. I think it's mm. it's it's wonderful. I absolutely agree. There, there's something very there's something almost and in, in that read, Doug, something almost like Lex Luthor about him, mm-hmm. where he's like, I have had to work and been a little gremlin man with a little goatee for a, m- several lives and you just get to be special you just get to be the timeless child like i have i've i've talked about this before i do not love the idea of the timeless child i really don't vibe with it um but i think the the reaction to that that the master has had since then is fascinating mhm and I think that's one of the most exciting things about that character since that reveal. Um, and it all it all starts with with Spyfall, that whole journey of just this terrifying 
at the end of his rope master just like i i thought i was on the same track as this person and now they're leagues ahead of me because of these things that i can't control so i'm just going to burn down the system that built it <laughs> incredible chef's kiss wonderful among wonderful us. two-parter who among us <laughs> who among us has not felt this way who among you, us you has wanna... not wanted to burn a planet you know that's so true i think about it at least once a week um <laughs> You know what? A, a fun little fact. I actually haven't watched all of Jody's episodes yet. Oh, really? Ooh, I have two specials left to go. I didn't <gasps> want, I didn't have a chance because when they were coming out, I, they just weren't accessible to me. The Sea Devil episode and the Last Dalek special. Mm. And I oh, know okay. that people like those. They so are good. I'm going to be diving into those before we hit the 60th. Hell I'll yeah. Say Revolution is a fantastic Dalek episode. Yeah, I, I kind of go back agreed. and forth on the Sea Devils, but uh, I love Revolution so much. Mm -hmm. I love with Sea Devils out there, just like, hey, what if we could be fun one last time? That Yeah, you got me there. They're just like, let's just go whole hog on it. But I'm excited for you to watch those too. for sure. When you said you hadn't watched all of them, I was like, oh no, did we just spoil Power of the Doctor? <laughs> oh oh no. Not. But with that, Doug, bring us home. Okay, well, that's it's another tough act to follow. But, I mean, let me think here. I need to find an episode that really just encapsulates my favorite doctor in every sense of the word. If only there was a, if only there was a real way to, like, put an end to this journey. Uh, oh, here's something. Journey's End, number one pick. It's, I mean, it is a bit of a cliche because it's, it's like Davy's last episode episode, but I think it's a perfect demonstration of everything he gets right. While I think like his, his last few specials get a little bit too blockbustery, uh, they get caught up in the action and like the big ideas that they're setting up. Uh, Journey's End is an incredible, uh, like, Jonathan Hickman come-together moment in my eyes mm -hmm. because it's every single thread getting brought back in, woven together into an amazing tapestry. And then Davies basically, like, hanging up... Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm running away with this analogy. He's hanging up his... <laughs> writer's hat i guess and then going okay my his air fedora. is done yeah I mean, his fez. <laughs> sure whatever let's go with that sure um like there there's so much going on from the fat like from the sheer spectacle of uh the earth getting stolen by the doctor's mm -hmm. enemies who are by the way all banded together in a very tenuous alliance um and then on top of that, you have all of the companions meeting for the first time. Yeah. You have Rose coming back again for the final time, but not really. Um, and then you have the culmination of uh, the idea of the Dr. Donna, this kind of mythic idea that's floated across Catherine Tate's season. It's hard not to feel satisfied by the end of this <laughs> and that's all i gotta say 
yeah. what else is there to say oh it, it's <sighs> a great like there is something incredibly special about mm-hmm. them just running to each other like in the street and then that cliffhanger of getting shot yeah and he's like i'm regenerating and it's like oh no um try to guess what happens next you won't you <laughs> I won't guarantee you won't yeah i the idea of like the meta crisis doctor and like mm-hmm. bringing the dr donna into all of this just having the correct amount of pilots in the tardis for maybe the only time what in the entire run of the show moments to mm-hmm. get that well murray gold's score plays under that as everybody does Just their job oh soars the it's it soars oh my and you know i ha- i really have to hand it to russell t davis for finding a fate worse than death i think that's incredible i <laughs> He said, what's the what's the one thing we can do that's worse than killing Donna? What if we just make it so that this never happens? Never <laughs> happened to her. What if we steal everything that she loves? That should work, right? Yeah, perfect. That should be fine. And she just goes yeah. on to live a totally normal life and never yeah. encounters anything weird ever again. She mm-hmm. seems happy. She seems content. That's the end of her story. She gets to get married. Yeah. <laughs> she apparently votes for Harold Saxon at some point woof um (laughs) it's it it's it's a fitting end for that character that you know you talked about before this idea that and it's moffat rather than davies that it's a fairy tale Mm -hmm. and oftentimes with fairy tales with dreams with you know those storybooks they end you close the book and we move on with our lives and that kind of is the story for donna noble she gets to live this fantastic, amazing life where she gets to see all of these things and make a difference in the lives of trillions of beings across the universe. And the whole Donna, you know, Dr. Donna thing is still spoken about, you know, all mm-hmm. over the galaxy. And it's this legend of this person who was just a person. Her journey from the beginning i and i've talked about this before i could not stand donna in the runaway bride i was not about it i was not about it but then she came back in um partners in crime and i was like (laughs) all right i kind of see what you're doing here i don't know if i like it but i'm interested and across that season, like, she just endears herself. And it was immediately the next episode was Fires of Pompeii. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. And, like, watching her get that ending, deserved or not, you know, it continues to feed into this loneliness, this isolation. As you were saying hours ago at this point, you know, the breaking down of Ten as a character across his tenure and the isolation mm-hmm. of him. That, I mean, that image of him just being sad in the rain is mean to death. I know oh. I do it all the time. I use that gif with reckless Same. abandon. So often. But you get this conclusion for that partnership and these two best friends who would never see each other again. Never. I... <laughs> Ever. Certainly not with these faces. I think 
it's it's so poetic. We use that we use it as a meme so often. Just him standing in the rain, saying "I'm fine," but I can't think of a more important visual representation of who Ten is as a character. That has been him this entire time, and it the rain gets worse and worse as time goes on. It is him trying to pretend. It, it's Ten started as a character who tried to be young for Rose. He tried to be the person that he thought that Rose would enjoy. Someone younger, someone handsome, someone carefree. But those scars from the time war just ran so deep. And first he loses Rose and then he and then Martha leaves. And then he loses Donna in the most tragic way. And it's the perfect representation of who he's going to be as he goes into the waters of Mars, as he goes into the end of time. He is just a character who try, who wanted to be something more, who knew he could have been so much more and just was not allowed to be that. Oof. And so I love that finale for him so yeah. much. I, I adore it to no end. I, yeah, I agree. Like something that I love about 10 is that, uh, I mean, Granted, I think everybody iterates on this in different ways, but to me, Ten is the most human doctor in that he is the most vulnerable. He is the most fallible. He makes uh, really bad mistakes, and uh, those bad mistakes have consequences, but it comes back and informs who he is. Uh, you get a sense that like he, he loses his way, but he is not lost as a person. Yeah. And that, I mean, that to me is like what I love about Doctor Who. The big central appeal for me of sci-fi is that it is caught between wonder and terror. And you never know if something is going to be like a cautionary tale or if it's going to be this utopian fantasy. And in the end, it's all really up to us and what we take away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't think I could have put it better myself. That is a wonderful way to wrap that up. Um, luckily for us and for them, we do get to see Donna Noble and the Doctor reunite one more time. Mm-hmm. Because this weekend, as of this recording, we have the, six, the kickoff of the 60th anniversary. Um, this is a really exciting time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Doctor Who is back. We've got Neil Patrick Harris. Who knows what he's going to be up to. And I'm just really excited because like for those reasons that you were talking about, for that kind of like that magic of Donna and the Doctor, like I can't wait. And I can't wait for this new era that we are heading towards. Um, As we're wrapping up here, do either of you have anything that you are hoping to see for these three specials leading into the Christmas special that gives us Shudigatwa's new uh, 15th Doctor? Um, I, I have a lot that I'm hoping for. And I, I feel like a lot of it is going to come true because I just want David Tennant and Donna to have a, a blast in these episodes. I want Doctor Who to be a spectacle again in the best way and i don't want to feel like david Tennant's return was was wasted or squandered and the fact that they're treating him as his own doctor and they 
Russell T. Davis said just not too long ago that he refers to the 14th Doctor as the Magnesium Doctor. I love someone that who, phrase. Someone who burns yeah. brightly, but not for too long. That's so cool. My heart is ready to be broken. That's going to wreck um, me. Yeah. I'm so interested to see where Donna is now. And I'm very interested personally in the character of Donna's daughter. Yes. Who I forget who is playing her. But I know the actress and the character are both trans. And so seeing that on screen in Doctor Who is going to be like coming full circle for me. So I'm I'm excited to see that. I'm hoping this is not the last time we see that character. I'm hoping that she has a lot more to bring to the show. Agreed. I mean, uh, wishful thinking. But if there's anything I know about Davis, he always loves bringing a good character back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. A lot of what I want, I feel like I've already seen. Uh, you know, the the big thing is David Tennant coming back. Uh, but uh, I guess to keep it as broad as possible, something that I really want because I think a lot of franchises fall into this, especially when they have a lot of history is they get too reliant on iconography. They get too reliant on the past and nostalgia, and they just kind of coast on the goodwill that all of that is built. And uh, something that I think is incredible about Doctor Who is that maybe it's because it's more theatrical than cinematic. Maybe it's the fact that everybody going into this, even if um, their stories don't hit you the way you'd want, they have passion. They're always trying something new or they're giving a new spin on something old. And I want them to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know um, I just read up on a lot of what Davis is intending for this, and it seems like he's he's coming in with a very personal angle. Uh, I think he he came back on not long after his partner passed away, and he said this is his chance to basically honor him, um, you know, in in this era. And uh, I I love whenever a creator imbues you know, their, their passion, their personality into the stories they tell. So, uh, yeah, I guess long and short of it, just keep running forward. Keep, uh, keep looking to the future. I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm kind of on the same boat with both of you. Um, I want them to keep telling new stories, keep pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. of what you can do with a doctor who story. Um, I hope we see, I think I think her name is Rose is oh, that, yes. is that, that character which yep. I think is incredible. Oh yeah. Um thematic rhyming. <laughs> uh, it's like George Lucas or rhymes. Poetry, it rhymes, yes. Mm-hmm. Got to have the hamburger hands. Got to have the hamburger um, hands. I I love I love Doctor Who so much. I think selfishly I would love to get a multi-doctor even just a scene. Mm-hmm. I I think it would be very interesting for them to do maybe like a twist on it where it's actually Shudigatwa and David Tennant for an episode mm. where like the regeneration goes wrong or something. I don't know, but I think that would be dope as hell. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm with both of you. Like I think everything that I've wanted to see, I'm already seeing a lot of, and I'm just excited for it to be back. It's been a while. 
it's been a while since we last saw uh, Jody regenerate into into Tenant, and mm-hmm. I'm just excited to continue on and continue to see Doctor Who grow more and more now with an even bigger budget, <laughs> um, bigger hair, bigger hair. And bigger outfits. I can't wait to see some of those some of yeah. those outfits. Oh, yep. and you know the, the the one thing that I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing um Bernard Cribbins' last performance as oh, Wilfred Mott. That's right. Oh god, that's gonna wreck me one hundred percent. If they have anywhere near the conversation that they have in Last of the Time Lords, I'm gonna lose it. Mm-hmm. Or end of time. Like I'm gonna lose it. Same, absolutely same. Do you so, think Tennant's gonna say he's proud of him? Oh God, I can't. I can't do that. I can't deal <sighs> with that. Oh, sorry, I derailed us there. <laughs> no, no, you're good. That's good. Oh, I'm gonna be thinking about that all night. Um, but yeah, I I loved getting to talk about this with y'all. We we tentatively talked about this a long time ago, and to finally mm-hmm. like sit down and actually you know chat about it, it's been amazing. Oh yeah. Um, if our listeners want to follow up with both of you, I mean, y'all are recurring characters at this point, so people should know. <laughs> but just in case, um, if people want to follow up with you guys, where can they find you both? Um. You can find me on Twitter at Ann Comics, and you can follow my podcast, The Comics Collective. Um, every Wednesday, we will be kind of taking a break in December. We'll only have two episodes coming out, but they will be great episodes, and we'll start back up in January. So keep an eye out for new episodes every Wednesday. Hell yeah. Y- y'all, y'all know the drill. You know, if you like what I do here, you're going to love what they do there best comics conversation podcast in the game you know what it is comics collective keep it going keep the love going doug you're up oh oh, okay (laughs) it's you (laughs) okay uh well you can find me on twitter at every kind of geek all one word and uh you can find me on youtube where i am about to debut a doctor who's special right now on the channel for every kind of geek and uh you might hear a couple of familiar voices show up (gasps) who knows who that could be if they ever finish their recording who indeed (laughs) who indeed (laughs) who indeed could be sending things later than they should who indeed it's a mystery gotta just in time it's a mystery we're good good. okay good thank god (laughs) that's close that's close one we we all know it's Dallas. Um, it's Dallas. Damn. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I, I do it every time he comes on, but Doug is really just leading, leading the charge with the comics tube. He's, he's putting out stuff that people wish that they knew how to make mm-hmm. covering things that everybody is interested in and everyone wants to learn about and doing it the only way that he can. So for every mm-hmm. kind of geek YouTube, it's the place to be. If you're on podcast, you're listening to podcast, Comics Collective, you know what it is. You 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 know you know why I keep bringing people back is because <laughs> I keep finding people who are much more creative than me and bringing them onto my little show so that we can talk about things. So, um, I I loved getting to sit down with you guys. It's always a pleasure. Uh, oh, yeah. we, we'll have to check back in 
once the uh once all the specials are out and see where our mental and emotional states are yes <laughs> hey i'm always up for a four-hour doctor who conversation so oh my anytime. god it has been good lord <laughs> um well with that as we look from the past to the present and into the future the future is in flux we don't know where the doctor will go but we know that it is going to be quite the adventure in space and time Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of November 22nd, 2023. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at a local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And y'all, y'all know there was a bunch of good books, but of course it was Superior Spider-Man number one. I loved that book. I'm so excited for this story. I don't know where it's going, but I cannot wait to find out. Enough said. That's all. But that brings us to this week, where I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books for you to check out. So let's dive into this with another brand new number one, that being Batman Off-World number one. This is written by friend of the podcast, Jason Aaron, with art by Doug Monkey. And this is, I mean, Jason Aaron bringing into the fold. Uh, he is back with DC. I don't I can't remember. He did something with DC before, but this is his first Batman book. This is his first modern DC book. It's a pretty exciting time. So let's dig into the synopsis and find out what it's all about. A routine night in Gotham City for a young Batman proves to be anything but routine when the crime fighter is confronted with a sort of foe he's never faced before. One from beyond the stars. A universe of possible alien threats leads Batman to make a daring decision to venture alone into the far reaches of the cosmos for the very first time, where the Dark Knight will face the fight of his life. Yeah! This is exciting. You, I've talked before how much I love young Batman stories, and that with Jason Aaron, with Doug Monkey, this is going to be one for the books for sure, so definitely pick this up. Next up, keeping it in the Bat family, we've got Nightwing number 108. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Stephen Byrne, and this is continuing on the hold uh storyline um it's weird i'm just i mean let's be honest it's a weird story but tom taylor is loving what he's doing he loves nightwing he loves the story he's telling and i'm kind of glad that we're seeing more of b i was really disappointed that she got pushed to the side once the rick grayson stuff was done so i'm happy to see her part of this now so let's dig into the synopsis dick encounters an old flame is she friend or foe Amid Nightwing's investigation of the mystery behind the secret society called The Hold and their connection to the origin of Bloodhaven, Dick runs into his old flame, B. Bennett. Is B. back to confront Nightwing for some closure, or is she somehow related to the secret pirate society? We know this already. We've covered this. Why? Hmm, that's weird. Are they hiding something by making a synopsis that we've already got the answers to? Questions for later. 
Next up, sticking with uh, Tom Taylor, we've got Titans number five. This is written again by Tom Taylor with art by Nicholas Scott. And this concludes the first arc of Titans. Um, just because we've gotten a converse, a, uh, a question in the book club about this, you know, this is one of those times where I love the book. I love the characters. I love the creators. I'm not loving the story. I'm not loving, you know, what I'm reading. And so I am okay with finishing out this arc with this issue and then putting it down. Sometimes you need to assess. You need to assess your pull list. You need to see what sparks joy for you and what doesn't. And right now I get enough of, you know, the Taylor Nightwing experience with Nightwing. And so I am looking forward to hopefully checking in with this book in a year seeing where they're at. I know they're about to go into a big ramp up for Beast Wars. I think that's what's called a Beast World, sorry. Transformers on the brain. Uh Beast World, which I'm not really interested in. So, I wish them luck and I'm excited to check in later. But for now, with issue 5, we've got the synopsis. Swamp Thing versus the Demolition Crew. What the hell? The Titans are going green. As the team desperately attempts to heal the Borneo rainforest, they reach out to the only avatar that can help, Swamp Thing. Will the peaceful yet powerful giant be enough to stand up to the forces of evil? Or will the new and improved demolition crew wreck them all? What is happening? What about the Wally stuff? He's about to die. I don't know. That That's one of the reasons I'm I'm fine with kind of putting this on the shelf, but... Either way, again, if this book is sparking joy for you, feel free to keep on reading. For me, I'm going to cut it off here, and that's okay. One book that is sparking joy for me, though, is, sticking with The Flash, Jay Garrick, The Flash. I'm so freaking excited about this. Written by Jeremy Adams with art by Diego Lortegui. Uh, Jay Garrick, The Flash, number two, I'm really, really excited about. I loved that first issue. I can't wait to read this. Let's just go ahead and read the synopsis. Guest starring Stargirl. Yes! I'm excited about that. Uh, Judy's physicals are all coming back good and clear, which means only one thing. Mall day with Stargirl. But when a foe from the 1940s crashes the party, Jay rushes in to save the day, much to his daughter's chagrin. So I'm really excited about this. I love that they are building out the Jay and Judy uh, relationship, and I'm excited to continue to see the evolution of the boom and these variant covers are incredible one by um dark shaner my boy but also one by francis manipole and i'm excited for both next up sticking with characters that have been drawn by doc shaner you sense in the theme uh it's superman number eight written by joshua williamson with art by david baldion as well as gleb melnikov and jamal campbell I mean, that is an incredible lineup. That is an incredible lineup of artists. Um, we are neck deep in the chain storyline. Uh, Luthor's past coming back to haunt him. I am loving this. I am really excited to see where this super book goes. I know we're about to head into Beast World, and that's going to get derailed. But 
what they are doing and what Joshua Williamson specifically is doing with his back to basics approach with Superman is just making a book that's just fun, just fun, makes you feel good to read. I'm so excited to read this. So let's read the synopsis. The Man of Steel versus Chained. Powerless. Superman versus the Chained concludes. One of the biggest battles Metropolis has ever witnessed comes down to Superman doing the unthinkable and sacrificing his powers to stop the Chained. How does that impact Lex Luthor's plans? Or is Lex too busy dealing with the shocking return of his mother in Superman 850? That's right. Superman is fighting one battle while Lex is mentally and emotionally fighting another. I'm kind of sad that the chain is only getting like a couple issues, but I mean, I guess it makes sense with how powerful he is. And they've got a plan. They've obviously got a plan, and I'm very excited to read it. And speaking of stories that have plans and are part of a bigger universe, Void Rivals! Void Rivals issue number six. Are we already up to issue six? Good lord. Uh, this is written by Robert Kirkman with art by Lorenzo De Felici. And this book has been really good. I've loved the world building. This is, for me, as exciting as the Transformers book is, as the G.I. Joe's books have been. Uh, I just love Void Rivals. And I think they're doing a wonderful job in getting us invested in this, you know, in this world and in these characters that we didn't have any prior knowledge or attachment to. So I'm really excited about this. Let's dig into the synopsis. End of story arc. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Premier Zalalak will stop at nothing to prevent Derek and Salila from escaping Zertonia. But what secret awaits at the center of the sacred ring? So, end of the story arc, which means, I'm, I mean, we're going to be entering into a new one starting next month. Or, I'm just looking at this now, and it says the next issue isn't until March. Oh, Kirkman! But, I mean... I've loved every single issue so far, and I guess that break, you know, between now and March does give you time to catch up on this book. It's a great one, so I'm really excited, can't wait to read this. But speaking of books that I can't wait to read, Wonder Woman number three. This is written by Tom King with art by Daniel Sampier. I just, the first two issues are really freaking good, gang. They're really freaking good, gang. Um... The amount of love and care that is being put into this Wonder Woman book is astounding. I am, tr I am constantly just amazed looking back at the last two issues of how good they are. Obviously, with how Tom King writes, he does write for the trade nowadays, which is understandable. But this is one of those books where I was expecting to wait you know, trade weight for this, but something about each issue so far has just drawn me in. And it looks like we're going to be drawn into a backup story alongside Diana's war against the patriarchy, basically, as it looks like Trinity is going to finally be making her debut. So let's dive into the synopsis. Trinity, Wonder Woman's daughter, makes her backup story debut. 
The Lasso of Lies' true power is revealed as the Sovereign continues his campaign against Wonder Woman. Could one unsuspecting soldier be the key to defeating our hero? Find out as Diana uses her own lasso in search of the truth about the Amazon Massacre. Plus, the return of Trinity! Wonder Woman's daughter makes her backup story debut in the first of many awe-inspiring adventures from the future. So I'm wondering if the backups are just going to be like an anthology-type uh, story where it's just a bunch of snippets of Trinity's adventures or if they're going to follow a narrative. Either way, I'm really excited to see what they do here and I cannot wait to read this. But speaking of books with female protagonists, we've got Immortal X-Men number 17. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Juan Jose Ripe. And this is also... A penultimate issue ah, makes me sad. Um, Immortal X-Men has been fantastic. I think between the two, I might prefer X-Men Red. But what Kieran Gillen has done with the, I mean, just with the book of Immortal X-Men and the machinations of all these different characters, it's very Game of Thrones and we knew this was going to be, but it's been an absolute treat to read every single month. So I'm very sad to see it go. Let's dive into the synopsis and find out what is going on because this cover is very Jean Grey focused and Jean Grey is dead. Cross my heart. Xavier swore he would stay on Krakoa and defend its memory. He's leaving. There must be a good reason to leave one doomed island for another, and the dark secrets that await beneath Muir Island. Oh, shit. And await beneath Muir Island. Meanwhile, something is very wrong with Jean, or is it something very right? Oh, ominous. I am really, really stoked about this. Uh, we do know that... Timelines are in play with all of the, you know, machinations of Omega and Nimrod and, you know, the possible, I can't even, I don't even, Dominion, all that stuff. It is, uh, it is an exciting time, even though everything seems to be kind of crumbling to the ground for the, uh, for the X-Men and for all mutants at this point. I can't wait to pick this up, though. This is, this is shaping up to be an all-timer when it comes to X-Books. But finally, the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up. And speaking of books that deal with different timelines, it's Batman Superman World's Finest number 21. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. And we are knee deep in Kingdom Come. I am so excited. I loved that first issue and I'm so freaking stoked to pick up part two of this story. Let's just dive headfirst in the synopsis. Superman and Batman, having followed Boy Thunder to Kingdom Come, find themselves and that world on a path to an apocalyptic future. Can the world's finest team prevent the transformation of Boy Thunder into the villainous Magog, or is his fate sealed? I mean, we have to assume that his fate is sealed because Kingdom Come did happen, but I can't wait to see what they do to make us think otherwise. But that is going to do it. For this week's Comics Countdown, to recap, we've got uh, Batman Offworld number 1, Nightwing number 108, Titans number 5, Jay Garrick the Flash number 2, Superman number 8, Void Rivals number 6, Wonder Woman number 3, 
We've got Immortal X-Men number 17 and Batman Superman World's Finest number 21. Only two books this week, not from the Distinguished Competition. Lots of DC love this week, so make sure you make the Distinguished Choice. Head on over to your LCS and pick up some amazing comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geeksplained podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Terrific 21. I want to say a huge thank you to all those fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you'd like to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, get first notification for announcements, or maybe just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainPod. That's at GeeksplainPod on Instagram and Twitter as I continue to figure out how to be good at Instagram and for as long as Twitter, I'm not calling it X, stakes around. Uh, Finally... This Friday and every single Friday is the Geek Explained Book Club, where I, alongside my fellow Emerald Archer, Malcolm Russell Nelson, are currently going through every single issue of every single volume of Green Arrow Rebirth. This week, we are tackling Hard Traveling Hero as Oliver travels the country to try and stop the Ninth Circle. It's been a blast going through the Green Arrow Rebirth run. This past week was our giant-sized episode covering Volume 4, and it was a doozy. So I cannot wait to uh, have that conversation with Malcolm and share that with you. Volume 5 continues. Uh, Star City Fridays are real, so be there or be square, not a circle. I want to say a huge thank you to Doug and Anne once again for coming on to the show. I love talking to them about all things, but especially getting to sit down and talk Doctor Who with them was a delight. Make sure you subscribe to both Doug's YouTube channel for every kind of geek and Anne's podcast, The Comics Collective. I will put links to both in the show notes. Show them love. They're incredible. If you couldn't already tell from our nearly four-hour conversation about it, uh, they're incredible. They're amazing. Go support them in all the things that they do. But that does it for this week's episode. And you might have noticed, no weekly review. Eric, where's the weekly review? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because starting next week, I'm going to be reviewing the Doctor Who specials. I am so excited to be covering these. Uh, If you couldn't already tell from this episode, I love Doctor Who. And I'm very excited for the specials that are coming up is going to be three specials and then a christmas special that is going to give us the brand new 15th doctor shurikatwa but until then we've got some david tennant and Catherine tate adventures to go through so join me uh for the next three weeks as we go through all of the uh new doctor who that's going to be debuting 
on Disney Plus in the U.S. and I believe BBC everywhere else. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe it's just BBC in the U.K. and Disney Plus everywhere else. Who knows? But that'll be the weekly review going forward. Next week is going to wrap up November before we head into December. So join me for a brand new episode of the Geek Explained podcast next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving if you celebrate. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.